Join Winnipeg Sports Talk, live from the NHL Draft in Nashville, presented by CoolBet, beginning on June 26th. This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Good afternoon, ladies and gents. Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. And uh, we've got a banger for you today. Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press is going to join us a little later on. We'll touch on the Bombers' 2-0 start. A little look ahead to uh, the BC game on Thursday. Uh, but we really will dive in on a number of the big uh, percolating stories around the Winnipeg Jets in the NHL offseason some more NHL talk with our pal Brandon Rewicki right off the top. And a little later on, Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 4680 CJOB. Going to jump on with us after Mike O'Shea, O'Shea speaks this afternoon. Close practice today for the Bombers, but we will talk Bombers with DT coming up towards the end of the program. I've got some interesting tidbits from Elliot Friedman as well as Darren Drager, which uh, we'll play for you coming up in the first segment um, and much more. If you're finding us for the first time, by the way, gang, make sure to hit that red subscribe button on the YouTube channels. We push closer to 10K subs. And of course, if you're finding us on YouTube, Winnipeg Sports Talk available as an audio podcast just in time for your drive home after we finish the live show every afternoon. Go to your favorite podcast server Search Winnipeg Sports Talk and subscribe there. Just before we bring in Michael Remus, huge thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Assiniboia Downs, Winnipeg Gold Eyes, Modern Man Barbershop, Aquatech, Canadian Club, Manitoba Battery, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Nick & Nicky DQ, Vita Health Fresh Market, Princess Auto, Consolidated Supply, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, and of course our favorite local brew, Little Brown Jug. And we will get to the Cool Bet lines later on. But do not forget, next Monday begins NHL Draft Week in Nashville. Winnipeg Sports Talk will be there all week long, beginning on Monday, presented by Cool Bet. So make sure to join us next week live from Nashville for uh, what should be a pretty wild week for the Winnipeg Jets. Let's get this going on a steamy afternoon on one of the longest days of the year. Michael Remus, how are you, my friend? Yeah, just counting down until uh, Nashville. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. I posted on my LinkedIn yesterday. Um, I don't know if you're on LinkedIn, but it's where you tell people how great you are at at work. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're pretty pumped here. for my, my personal uh, first work trip. So we're excited. Thanks to CoolBet for sponsoring that, but... Give me something to post on, on LinkedIn, Huss. I'm not a big LinkedIn guy. Is, link, is LinkedIn essentially the Barry Horowitz site? Yeah. Where you just go yeah. up and you pat yourself on the back and let everyone One, know all the amazing things that you're doing? 100%. If you don't tell people how great you are, nobody will know. <laughs> so that's what I think about you're LinkedIn. You're pretty great, Reem. You're pretty great. I keep it to myself um, usually, but uh, this one I had to... I had to all, you know what? All jokes aside, though, this is going to be a, a massive week for the Winnipeg Jets, but also for us. Um, you know, we're seeing right now in the current climate of sports media, uh, there's a lot of people losing jobs. There's a lot of places pulling back. For us to have the opportunity to be able to do this, to bring uh, the sights and sounds of the draft to all of our viewers and listeners, 
uh, is a big, big opportunity. And uh, we are really looking forward to making the most of it. So, uh, yeah, Monday, buckle up. The big question is, Remo, is were we going to see some of these dominoes fall before we get to Nashville and begin programming on Monday? I could certainly see the possibility of a deal happening at some point this week involving Pierre-Luc Dubois. I believe that's where things start. And, man, you know, listening to the likes of Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick today, it is very clear there is a lot of interest in Pierre-Luc Dubois, but it is a very unique situation. And uh, depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them, you might get a very different take on where things are heading. I'm looking at Twitter today, and I don't know if this has been like perpetually trending since the Stanley Cup was handed out, but oh, look, second on my list, Dubois, trending. I don't know if that's because I'm one in- on my list. Is it number one on yours? Well, mine is something called the HPE Discover. That's an event they're pushing. But yeah, Dubois on mine. So Zendaya also training. I'm not sure why, but I might have to check that out. Zendaya? Uh, Yeah. Who does he uh, play for? uh, (laughs) She's on that TV show uh, Euphoria, and she does other acting stuff. But uh, she doesn't play play for anyone. I can see why you would think (laughs) think that she does play for her. That's a good name. But yeah, Dubois. I saw Debrinket. Trending as well, um, you know, kind of the similar conversations here happening in in Ottawa. So, you know, you click on it, and there was, I guess, some new nuggets about Dubois pushed out today. Well, there was, and 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 first of all, the Habs signed Sean Monahan to a one year extension, which is interesting. In that, you know, again, it's just a one year. Um, they certainly are not committed beyond next season. But what does that mean for the center ice position? I mean, you've got Doc, you've got Nick Suzuki, you've got Dvorak, now you've got Sean Monaghan. I mean, Dubois is certainly in, in a different area code than most of those players. Although Doc had a really strong year and he'd be a guy the Winnipeg Jets, I'm sure, would be asking for to come back the other way. Nick Suzuki, the captain and the leader of the team up front in the middle. But differing opinions on whether this is an indication that they're sort of planning to not get Dubois or maybe adding Sean Monaghan and having that insurance at the center position if they do bring Pierre-Luc Dubois in but have to move one of those players, potentially a Kirby Doc, out. But Arpon has an interesting, and, and you know, of course, he was the one that broke the news uh, of a five to six team trade list and the desire to have an eight year sign and trade deal done with the Winnipeg Jets before moving on. And the title of Arpin's article today is why Pierre-Luc Dubois trade criteria makes it unlikely he lands with the Canadians. So certainly from someone very tied in in Montreal, making it look like this ship has potentially sailed for this. Here's just a key paragraph from it. This is an extremely complicated transaction to pull off. First off, the Dubois camp has ensured the list submitted to the Jets only includes teams that would be willing to acquire Dubois after he signs an eight-year deal with the Jets in a sign-and-trade. For now, those teams just know the general parameters of what the contract will be. The current stage is Chevel Day off, playing those teams off each other to get the best possible deal for the Jets. And once he does that, Pat Brisson would come in to hammer out a new deal. A misstep at either of those stages, the trade or the contract negotiation, could result in the deal falling apart, and I'm going to start over with another team. 
one other tidbit that I'm sure will make some more Jet fans happy. What's important to note here is Dubois, according to a source close to him, wants to do right by Winnipeg to some extent. That's why he provided a group of five or six teams opposed to insisting Winnipeg deal only with Montreal, his original desired destination. That is the source described it was a decision Dubois made with his heart. But once his head got involved, he opened his mind to other possibilities that would meet his criteria for furthering his career in a long-term deal with a new team. To me, Remus, the most important part of all of this is the continued reporting that this will be a sign-and-trade deal. And if the Winnipeg Jets sign Pierre-Luc Dubois to that eight-year extension and trade him with contract certainty to the other club, um, you would have to think that that return for the Winnipeg Jets, which is what we're mostly concerned about here in the peg, will be considerably better than getting forced into making the best out of one possible destination, a la the Jacob Truba trade, which, to be honest, considering the circumstances, Kevin Sheveldayoff did quite well in. Yeah, I actually thought they did okay on the Truba trade. Um, you know, we can't really evaluate this one until it happens. But uh, that part where he said uh, what he want, only wanted Montreal, but then his head was like, uh, maybe we should go to, you know, open it up to other teams. And you're hearing what LA as one that's mentioned all the time. And it, yeah, it sounds like to me, Hus, he's kind of sick of doing these one year deals. Which is why you know you talk about an offer sheet, and he'd you know maybe he wouldn't sign because he wants he wants to get paid here us he wants the max term he wants ears he wants as he called it a retire retirement contract he's done you know screwing around here you want to get that long term security and you know maybe you'll have uh, you know play play a bit more carefree when you're not you know so thinking about your contract. Although, if you ask him, what well, he never thinks about that stuff and leaves yeah, it up. He doesn't even know Le- what he's having for dinner. I don't think that he... Yeah, uh, leaves it up to his agent. He didn't even know he ha- was becoming yeah. an, RF- <laughs> an RFA, basically. So, uh, you know, that's where we're at here. And it's funny, you know, the I saw the Sean Monaghan alert on my phone, and you're just like, oh, Monaghan, but how does this affect the Canadians' want for Pierre-Luc Dubois? <laughs> and that's basically... Uh, it all, we're, we're it all comes back to Dubois drama eventually and right back here to Winnipeg. And listen, I mean, you know, Greg Wyshynski has got a great piece up at ESPN.com today about, you know, some potential landing spots for a player like Dubois that might cause a little bit of chaos. And I'm not sure whether, you know, uh, Wish kind of ran with uh, my suggestion of the perfect scenario here in Winnipeg of the Jets to trade him to the Boston Bruins. And he could take Patrice Bergeron's place there for the future and end up sticking it to the Habs for a long time. But that certainly was one of these spots that was uh, was mentioned. But we do have a clip. Uh, let's play this and we can discuss it a little bit. This is from this morning. Elliot Friedman joined Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick show with uh, what he's hearing about the latest of negotiations and the Dubois situation with the Jets, Habs, LA Kings, and any potential suitors in the league. Is the, the thing about the L.A. stuff is, like, Montreal sitting here knowing that he's their preferred destination, I think there's a couple things yeah. at play here. Number one is, does Montreal really, do they sit here and wait this out? Do they say, all right, um, you know, the King, if the Kings really are going to step up here, are we going to pick up our offer? Or... Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, Dubois is looking for 
At the lowest, Larkin, which is 875. At the highest, Barzell, which is 915. So in the eight times nine area, as has been reported, you know, Montreal has indicated it's not really comfortable doing that because of where Suzuki is. And, you know, I don't think that's going to be, I don't think they're going to be able to do that forever. Like ultimately the cap goes up, people have leverage. Um, So people are kind of looking at the Canadians here and the Jets have a bit more time. People are looking at the Canadians here and they're just wondering, okay, how are the Canadians going to play this? And that's kind of what Eric wrote about and talked with me about yesterday, that, you know, the mm-hmm. people at, like Montreal has to decide here, how much do they really want this player? And is the answer, yes, we go in we close the deal now and we sign them. Or is the answer, this is not what we want to do right now. And maybe somebody else gets. Them. So I think I, I kind of like Eric's thinking on that. And, I, I think we're all kind of, yeah. like. I think we're all kind of waiting to see what Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes decide. All right, so there's Elliot Friedman on with uh, with Merrick, and you know uh, Yosemite KRW just said in chat. I got hyped up to think that there was news, real news, but no, just more rumor and more rumor. Come on, Chevy, get off the couch and do something. Listen, Chevel Day off right now, I think is in a lot of ways, doing exactly what he needs to do to extract the best return. I mean, do you want the best return or you don't want it to happen now? I mean, as someone that wants to see the Jets do well, I'm more than willing to wait um, as long as it gets done and the best possible return comes uh, comes back. And to be honest, Remus, if you had told me three weeks ago that we'd be sitting here talking about a player willing to do an eight-year sign-and-trade deal with wherever he ends up, and multiple teams being him being open to do that, that is way better than what the situation was or was perceived to be at least, you know, three weeks or a month ago. And at this point, and we'll get into this a little bit more with Jeff and Brandon for that matter. I mean, you know that there's been tons of discussions. You know what Montreal has been willing to give up. It obviously hasn't been enough. The emergence of the Kings and potentially other teams on Dubois' list, I mean, if they're serious about willing to do that sign and trade with a number of those others, it essentially puts the pressure back on Montreal. As Elliot just said, do you want the player? There is a cost to being, there's a cost to pay when it comes to the return to the Winnipeg Jets, and there's also a cost to be paid when it comes to what that contract is. And if they're out, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets and Pierre-Luc Dubois will move on. Um... But I do think that this period right now, especially with the reports that L.A. making a big, big push at Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think just basically plays into Kevin Sheveldayoff's hands to get the best possible return right now. Um, And I will say this. I wouldn't even be surprised if in some ways this deal is done or the parameters are worked on what is going to be the return for the Winnipeg Jets. And then you can give Pat Brisson a couple days to make that move. Because obviously what what comes back to Winnipeg in any Dubois deal, I think also has some effects on what return the Jets are looking for in a Hellebuck trade and potentially even Mark Shifley. I mean, let's just use the Boston example for a moment. If Dubois went to Boston and you're looking at a couple players, Jeremy Swayman would certainly be a guy that I think the Winnipeg Jets would be interested in as an established NHLer and an RFA goalie young that could play big games it would be ready to go into a number one role 
Well, you're obviously not doing that if Connor Hellebuck's still on your team. But knowing if you were getting a goalie back coming in the, the Dubois trade, you're probably almost for sure not looking at a goalie coming back in the Hellebuck trade. So there's a lot of moving parts. But I kind of think that once one domino falls, other things will sort of pick up and fall into place. And I really do believe that most of this is going to take place over the course of the next six days, but probably closer to when we fire things up on Monday from Nashville. Yeah, and I kind of agree with uh, what Elliot said. Montreal has to think, okay, do we actually want this guy, or is this kind of going to, this really isn't part of what our plan was? And it almost reminds me of when Toronto signed John Tavares, because, like, you know, he's a hometown guy, you know, he's a center, but they already had, you know, Nazem Kadri on a pretty nice deal, and they had to sign all those other guys going forward, and it, it did kind of screw up uh, their salary cap. You were paying, what, four guys, you know, what, 40 plus million dollars there and now they're you know Brad Living's come in try to figure that out but with Montreal and Perry Dubois so what he wants more money than Nick Suzuki which they may not be prepared to give and the Jets want Kirby Doc but Montreal wants to be like hey here's you know Josh Anderson and Christian Dvorak. Dvorak and it's like when you do a trade in fantasy has and you offer you know a star player and some guy offers you three you know, three yeah. throw-ins. We're like, three no, quarters three, for a dollar. Yeah, three quarters for a dollar. That's exactly, and that's what Montreal wants to do. But now, with other teams in the mix and other teams willing to give him that extension, you know, they have to. They're actually going to be like, okay, are we serious here, or are we just trying to get him for free? Because we know the Jets are in a tough spot. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And um, you know, the open it up to more teams for Dubois too, because look, if teams are actually serious, he can get that long-term contract. Maybe Montreal's not. The place where it's going to be. So, uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, we're, you know, got our ear to, oh, who, which insider is talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois today? We did have Arpen Basu with the the article and, and the athletic. I do always, you know, for all the big J's out there, Huss, I got to say, I get so confused all the time. Is this an article? Is this a column? Is it a report? <laughs> you know, big, I, I once made a mistake early on where I called, uh, I called it a uh, column, an article. Don't do that to a journalist. They get, they get, they get a, upset about about that. But then, yeah, we did have Elliot. You're you're telling me, oh, Elliot is on Jeff Merrick. Is he going to talk about purely? And this reminds me so much of last year with Trot's Watch, where we were listening to Thirty Two Thoughts. Elliot's doing his daily appearances on the Jeff Merrick, on the Jeff Merrick show, and you know, whatever insider out there. So those are well, the... And, and and Merrick was teasing right off the hop because uh, I was on heading into when it started. And, I mean, he didn't... It took all of five seconds for Pierre-Luc Dubois' mm-hmm. name to be mentioned. And that was even before they got into the Monaghan extension. Uh, I said, Elliot will be here for the latest on, uh, on Dubois. Um, <laughs> and, hey, it is one of the most interesting stories right now. I know some people are like, oh, my God, you guys have talked about this for a lot. Well, yeah, no kidding. This is incredibly important for the Winnipeg Jets, and most of the people here are interested in the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, it's not going anywhere, and the fact that he's trending Canada-wide, again, I think tells you all you need to know about uh, why this story is at the top. Rob Mahoney says, My fear with Chevy is he moves at a glacial pace. There's been a monumental move perhaps every two years. Now we're expecting four in a few weeks. I just don't think Chevy that guy is that guy. Well, listen, the Blake Wheeler monumental move is not going to be a trade or not going to be anything like a potential return for Shifley, for Hellebuck, or Dubois. 
Um, but the other thing is, is the deadlines are what create these deals to get done. And there is a deadline for this, folks. I mean, I know there's the potential that this could drag on into the summer, but your ability to trade with other teams for the assets the Winnipeg Jets are looking for diminishes greatly after the draft. That is just simply the facts. Teams, you know, will sign their free agents. They've got a pretty good idea about where they are with their cap. If you do things before the draft, then subsequent moves can be made to round out the club. It gets way harder if we get into July for this. So, um, and hey, Rob, if you're right, and we're talking about all these guys still on the Winnipeg Jets in July, we got a mess on our hands. I don't think that's going to be happening. And uh, obviously, we'll spend most of our time talking about Dubois, Hellebuck, maybe a Shifley deal as well as the blue line. But Blake Wheeler's future is also very much uh, a topic of conversation. Let's get to this clip, Reem, because as I said, we played last week when Dregs was on with Jay Onright. And I found it quite interesting that he threw out for the first time I've ever heard Drager mention. And Drager's probably got the best line inside the GM's office here in Winnipeg of all the insiders of a potential Blake Wheeler buyout, <clears throat> not a trade. And um, got me thinking more. And then Dregs was on with our pals in Vancouver, fellow TSN orphans, Matt Sakaris and Blake Price. <laughs> and uh, Dregger, sort of without being prompted, brought up the possibility of a Blake Wheeler buyout. This is from the S&P show yesterday. Bio, first bio window opens Friday. Are you mm. hearing any names? Do you think we're going to see buyouts as soon as Friday or... Or hmm. early next week. Yeah, I think we probably will. Uh, early next week. Yeah, I. I mean, the the team that I'm I'm fixated on is is Winnipeg, right? And you know, there's been lots of speculation around the trading possibilities with the big name guys, Hellebuck and Pierre Luc Dubois and Mark Shifley. What are they going to end up doing with uh, Blake Wheeler? And you know, maybe it's early. Maybe it's early, but. You know, Blake Wheeler's a heck of a hockey player. He's got a real solid career. Could he help a team? Yes, I think he can in a more limited capacity than what was needed in, in Winnipeg. But to facilitate that trade, doesn't it feel like you're going to have to retain a chunk or apply a sweetener or both to find a trade fit? Or is a buyout just easier and cleaner? And I, yeah. I'm leaning towards the buyout. You guys know in Vancouver, ownership doesn't like having that dead money on the books. They don't. They, they put it on management, find a way to keep the books clean. But there are times where you get into situations where you don't really have a choice. And that could be the case with Blake Wheeler in Winnipeg. All right. So there's Dregs on, uh, on Wheeler's situation. And there's no doubt, Remus, that it is absolutely easier and cleaner and to be honest, I think it's better for Blake. I mean, if they want to do right by Blake, does buying him out, is that the, the the end of his era here in Winnipeg? Ending on a buyout, a bit of a bummer? Well, to some people, probably. But the fact of the matter is that if you're going to have to, you know, retain half of that contract, so pay $4 bucks to begin with, and then potentially picks to sweeten the deal to get him off the books... To me, it just doesn't make sense. And the fact that we're hearing more from Drager on the possibility of a buyout tells me that that's being seriously considered by the Winnipeg Jets. I, you know, was digging around yesterday and came across that appearance 
And I was surprised that this was from last week. And I was surprised that unprovoked when they're like, hey, Dregs, what do you think of uh, BioWindow? Who's going to get bought out? And it was on a Vancouver show. And it wasn't, um, oh, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson. You know, what if they, you know, he's a guy who wasn't playing and has got a bad contract. It was in going to Winnipeg. And mentioning Blake Wheeler, who, and as you said on Jay Onrate, he just casually suggested the possibility of a Blake Wheeler buyout. But this seems more sub- substantial and a, something the Jets might be considering. And and I don't know, like if you could even trade him, and is it even worth it if you can just buy him out and uh, free up some salary uh, for you know this off season, where a lot of teams are up against the cap and guys are going to be looking to move some stuff around. So. If they were to do that, I think it would be a sad end. But look, they stripped the captaincy or they removed the C from him, and it seemed like it didn't have the effect that they wanted. Just going by everyone and a couple guys, you know, at the end of the year saying, "Hey, Blake, you know, we didn't have the C, but he was still the captain." If they're looking to turn this team over and make some changes, that would be something, uh, you know, they're seriously looking at. So, what do they have till Friday? What's the bio window closed this Friday or next? Yeah, this Friday. I believe so. The first one, and then uh, there's another one after the. Uh, there's another one after the, well, after arbitration, basically. Um, but I think those have to be involved in uh, in arb. Bottom line is the. Uh, well, we might not talk as much about the Wheeler situation, just because I mean the most interesting thing to Winnipeg Jet fans when we're talking about these trade is the return. It's not going to be significant return. But I think for a number of reasons, and we'll get to this with Jeff a little later on, they're looking for some addition by subtraction, both from the culture of the club and what that does for some of the other individuals, allowing them to truly rise into leadership roles of the Winnipeg Jets and be the culture carriers for this club. All right, Brandon Rewicki's coming up in just a second. Hey, shout out to our friends at the Gold Eyes. 30th anniversary season continues. And the fish are back, and thank God, that was a rough road trip they've not been good on the road this year they have been real good at home we got a heck of a night for a little bit of baseball a few cold beers a dog and uh taking in what the fish have waiting for you at shaw park they're taking on the lincoln salt dogs tonight 6 30 start goldeyes.com for tickets you can also search out there for group tickets suites for a particular night and uh and much more um i've got to give a shout out to our friends at modern man barbershop as well Modern Man, now with eight locations in Winnipeg, including the newest locations in either Pembina Highway or Plessy Road. Modern Man Barbershops offer a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. You can book your look online via modernmanbarber.com and give them a follow on Instagram at Modern Man Barbershops. We're going to be pushing 34 degrees today, folks. I know some of you are thinking, man, I wish I had a pool well, hey, make 2023 the year you take the plunge. Visit aqua-tech.ca to design your own custom pool. Their team can provide on-the-spot pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. And whole home rentals start at Aquatech as well. Aquatech's ready to make your reno dreams a reality with thousands of rentals as their foundation. Learn more about design, pricing, and financing options at aqua-tech.ca. Well, summer's here. The battery blowout sale just finished at Manitoba Battery, but incredible savings continue throughout the month as Donnie and the gang celebrate their 10th anniversary as the best and only place to get batteries for pretty much everything you need. 
in the winter. It's your car. It's your truck. Right now, though, it's the fun stuff. Boat batteries, as we mentioned, incredible prices. Uh, ATVs, scooters, jet skis, anything you need to make your summer better. Manitoba Batteries got the battery for it. You'll be shopping local. You'll get the best price in town by a long shot. And, of course, the most convenient service with free delivery on any purchase over 60 bucks anywhere in the city of Winnipeg. Find out more at manitobabattery.com. And, uh, hey, we're counting it down two days till the Bombers are back. <clears throat> going to be another heater. And I have a feeling we're going to see a few more people enjoying those delicious Canadian Club and ginger ales at IG Field. Of course, Canadian Club, Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, is the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and WST. Canadian Club's available at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts and throughout IG Field. And of course, CC and Ginger Ale premix cocktails at the games, Liquor Marts, and your favorite beer vendor. All right, let's get Rewiki in here. For his weekly visit, Brandon Rewicki, the host of Skates and Plates. Uh, Brandon, what's up? I guess some congratulations are in order. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, number two, finally gave, about two weeks overdue, but worth the wait. So, yeah, family's doing good. Not sleeping. Excellent. A lot of caffeine beside me, but but we're getting through it. We're getting uh, through it. Little brother or little sister? A uh, little brother, yeah. So we got one of each now. Oh, perfect, perfect. I can see you're already on the verge of being one of those psycho hockey dads, and he's not even... No. The, no I'm joking, I'm joking. Psycho <laughs> golf dad. Psycho golf dad. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. Hey, speaking of golf, what did you think of the uh, U.S. Open? I hated it. <laughs> I thought it sucked, <laughs> which is which is wild, too. Just I don't, it, it really was the course, though, because, I mean, you had some tremendous storylines, right? Like, Ricky... Ricky to me was the story. It's just it sucks that he wasn't able to get it done there. But I mean, just seeing him be competitive was awesome for for three days at least. And then Rory, oh man, he just take a putt, man. I, that's it, right? Like that. That's all it is with Rory. And it's crazy too because he's not even playing bad, but like he's an inch off on a handful of putts, and that's why he hasn't won in nine years, as opposed to why he's maybe picked up two or three. The other thing too is like, and and he's been the most I don't know tantalizing player since Tiger was seen as the heir apparent. It, it, you just, you don't get that tiger moment from him, right? Like that, that to me is what's been missing and why he hasn't officially <laughs> been in the winner's circle is that you need, like in these tight one, two stroke differences, you need one of those signature moments. And he's just, for whatever reason, unable to pull them up right now. Um, but I thought the course was horrendous. I mean, come on, on, on 18, to have a football field wide fairway to try to set up some draw like that that Wyndham Clark shot tracer that, that looked like it should have been that, I thought that it was on a, I thought it was on a different ocean. hole yeah I, th- I I literally I thought oh my god he went onto uh, the other fairway no no yeah. he was just right there if that was Pebble Beach it would have been 200 yards into the ocean right like I I hope it's a one and done but um maybe we'll we'll see we'll see if this is kind of the the crowning had, moment for yeah, it would have been better if they had fans I mean, that looked like one of the early live events on the first three yeah. days, to be perfectly honest with you. We got a few more there. Anyways, would you have been able to pick out Wyndham Clark from a police lineup two weeks ago? I couldn't do it now. <clears throat> but good for him. Hey, that was nails, man. Basically hit every green and every fairway all week. I mean, yeah, that's, the, that's what you got to do. Anyways, let's uh, move on to... Uh, 
it's it's like the uh, the Dubois drama. It's like a soap opera that you know keeps on giving us just a little bit more, a little bit more. But really, rubber's got to hit the road coming up over the next little while. Well, what's your sense from everything that we heard? Los Angeles Kings being significantly in, and really not knowing where there is a true want from the Habs to make a deal happen. The Winnipeg Jets have been willing to move on this for a while, and I'm sure would have loved to have got it done earlier. They have not stepped up and paid the price that Kevin Sheveldayoff has asked for, Brandon. Do you think as we get closer to next week, there's a likelihood that Montreal does finally step up their offer? Or are you thinking that L.A. or potentially one of the other teams on his list is the eventual destination with an eight-year sign-and-trade? Yeah, honestly, at this point, Hus, I, I might be as equally surprised if Dubois is on the Jets compared to if he's on the Habs. I, I, I just don't see it happening. And, and it might just be that it's it's not the right time for a trade like this to happen. But, I mean, Montreal, for good reason. This is when the trade's happening, though. Like, that's the thing for Montreal. <laughs> if you yeah, want yeah, him, no, you got to do it now. Yeah, and I, I think on their side, they're, they're probably right in the sense that, like, why speed up this rebuild that we're on and commit so much cap to a guy that might not be the ultimate difference maker um, as opposed to just kind of letting this organically go through here. Um, and they're not willing to give up any of their top assets. But from the Jets side, we need top assets for the guy, right? Like, it's just, I think both teams are right. And that's ultimately why I don't think it gets done. Um, I mean, I'll be pretty shocked if it's not LA at this point. It just seems like anytime you get a team that's been after a guy for a number of years and, and through a number of teams, you know, it, it usually finds a way to get done at some point here. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, King's management seems to love the package that Dubois brings to the table. And I think they've got the appetite to get it done. I mean, time's running out on, on Kopitar and Dowdy in terms of them being high-end contributors, right? Um, they've got the prospects. They've got the picks. It, it makes too much sense, I think, for this not to happen. Now, the big question is going to be, at least from Winnipeg's side, is, are we talking a Dubois for Byfield swap or are we talking Dubois for Velarde and spare pieces or, or other parts of the trade, right? That that's To me, that's kind of the main question out of this that, that I think we're going to see take place. Um, I, the other intriguing part is just, you know, who could be the other mystery team, so to speak, in this? Um, and I, I do wonder a little bit about Colorado Hus. You know, the Avs are just, they're, they're kind of quietly going about their business, but... I mean, they were so good this past season, but it's pretty evident that, you know, when they had Kadri two years ago, they were a powerhouse. And they don't need a guy that can, you know, be a 95-point centerman behind McKinnon. They need a guy that can be a number two disturber and give you 60, 70, 80 points. And I think that's ultimately what Dubois is going to give you. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily rule out an interdivision trade here, but all signs point to L.A. And I'd be be pretty surprised, man, if we're not talking about what the new look Winnipeg Jets are going to be looking like in a couple of days' time. Yeah, and, and, and listen, I wouldn't be surprised, and I sort of speculated this at the beginning of the show, that a deal is even close to being done or gets done, and we don't find out about it for a couple of days because the one thing yeah. that's very different in Sheveldayoff's situation than most other GMs is that all of these moving pieces are parts that are tied to each other. And, I mean, let's just throw out the example that PLD goes to say it's a Boston and you have Swayman coming back. Well, I think that significantly changes maybe what you're asking for in a Hellebuck trade. So to line things up and even get the pieces in place for the framework of what the deal will be, because then Pat Prasson's got to work out that contract as well. 
So there are a lot of things that we won't know are happening as they happen. But it could be kind of a domino effect of one trade to happen, then another one. Certainly the Hellebuck and Dubois are the ones that I think we're most keenly interested in because they've indicated that they're not re-signing and the time is now to get max value. And then, of course, you move on to Mark Shifley, who I'm sure they're having conversations about him, and then clarity as to how they're going to handle this Blake Wheeler situation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I saw somebody kind of make the comparison of, you know, the Dubois situ- situation right now to the Matthew Kachuk situation last year. And I just think it'd be a terrible mistake to let this drag out into July. I, I'm not even, you know, taken into the potential of an offer sheet and, and things like that. But I think you nailed the main point here. Like, if you're Winnipeg, and I don't even know if it matters if you want to be competitive this season or you're he- heading into a rebuild, whatever it is, you kind of need to know what you're getting back. And then we can figure out how best to stockpile the rest of the assets that we're going to be getting here. Um, because, I mean, a Hellebuck trade involves a lot more teams by the sounds of it. And you can get pretty flexible in terms of, of what you bring back, right? I mean, the big one would be Boston, right? Like, if you're if you're sending them to Boston, it's obvious that Swayman is, is part of the package coming back. Um, so that kind of alleviates the need to look at goaltending, right? But if he goes pretty much anywhere else, you know, a goalie isn't going to be part of the mix. And so do you try to go after that in the Hellebuck deal? Or do you maybe try to find a stop, whatever it might be, right? But I, I just think there's there's too much at stake here to have this one pushed a few weeks into July. I mean, you got the draft coming up. I mean, potentially two other massive trades in the next couple of days as well. If this is the first domino that needs to fall, tip the domino over in the next 48 hours or so, and then we we got some time at least to figure things out before the draft gets underway next week. Yeah, it, it, if it's not a good, talented, young goalie like a Swayman that you know you could be able to sign and have under team control for a while with some cost certainty, I'd be fine with the Winnipeg Jets just looking at futures, whether it be picks, uh, you know, as opposed to getting a goalie in. Because the one thing that will play into Winnipeg's hand when we get to free agency is opportunity. I mean, if Connor Hellebuck's not a Winnipeg Jets, you're talking about 65-plus starts that are on the table for somebody to come in. And, you know, I know they feel great about DiVincentis, who is the OHL's goalie of the year. He's not going to be ready to go for two or three years if things continue to trend in that right way. So a shorter-term deal at reasonable money, maybe for one or two goalies, could absolutely be the way the Jets go out. And if you do that, then you can really focus on young players or maybe get a few more lottery tickets if you will of the things that come back and hopefully one or more of them pop and you know you look back at that deal going wow that was great value look at what that's done for the team in the long haul yeah you know it's it's funny that if if Hellebud gets moved and even if a young goalie does come back I mean either way it's a pretty decent free agent goalie market here and I think the Jets have kind of situated themselves nicely to bring somebody in again either as a platoon or as, you know, maybe a quote-unquote 1A type of a guy. Because, you know, if you're a goalie looking at the situation here, no matter how good the team is, you're playing, I would imagine, if you're a decent attendee, about 50 games or so, you sign a one-year deal, play a bunch, maybe get moved at the deadline to a team and, you know, build your profile more there. But getting a bunch of starts in, and then the cap, as it's supposed to, goes way, way up next year, you can easily turn a brief Winnipeg stint into a solid three, four-year jackpot to an extent, right? So the Freddie Andersons, I mean, I don't know if Varlamov would necessarily be in that mold still, right? But like Corpus there's a Salo. few. 
Corpus Allo as well. There's a few guys that would look at Winnipeg, I, I think at least, as a pretty solid destination. And on top of it, too, you know, Wade Flaherty's he's done great work with goalies. Yep. I mean, Hellebuck, obviously, kind of a different case there. But look at the string of backups that have come in in Winnipeg here, um, you know, even getting limited game action and have parlayed that into secondary or, or tertiary contracts elsewhere and have, have found some success either financially or on the ice, right? So I think it's a pretty damn good situation for a free agent goalie or a trade candidate looking at the Jets where they're at heading into the season and say, hey, you know what, this might not be too bad for at the very least eight months and then we can figure it out after that. Yeah, and, and you know what, Brandon? I mean, I would not be adverse. I mean, listen, I think everyone knows I'm a huge Hellebuck guy. I think he's the franchise player. If there was an option to sign him to a big money deal, I would do it. Um, but I also understand that they've apparently said that the next contract's not going to be here. So you have to go and do what's best for your club, and that's getting the returns back. I would not be adverse, if that's the case, to maybe going with the two-headed monster both out of free agency on relatively cheaper deals with a couple guys to battle it out. And I think of Lorraine Brassois. I mean, Brassois is probably the odd guy out in Vegas. Logan Thompson, they still have. He's their younger goalie. He was hurt. He would have been their number one this year. Let's assume that Aiden Hill signs and returns to Vegas well, then Loren Brassois is on the market. And this is a guy that I think, you know, did have success working with Wade Flaherty and I think would be open to coming back. I mean, if you're a goaltender that wants to play, that really wants to establish yourself as a number one, if Connor Hellebuck's not in Winnipeg, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better spot with more opportunity to really establish yourself as a one than right here. Yeah, I, I have no problem with that. And you know the guy likes the city too, right? You know, it was just opportunity that I think led him to, to go elsewhere, knowing that Hellebuck's going to get 75% of the starts. But, you know, Brassois, I think, is is, is fine. You, you need to have a pretty good backup option there, too, because I just, I don't know health-wise if he's going to be able to play anything more than, you know, 35, 40 games. You know, one one guy, too, that, that you know, maybe looking at this almost as a, you know, sign a guy to a lottery ticket to an extent, and, hey, maybe you move him at the deadline for a piece or two. Um, but Tristan Jari is, is kind of intriguing as well. He's he's played pretty well for Pittsburgh, but again, a guy that's had health problems, hasn't been able to, to totally stay healthy there. You might not feel great about Jari and Brassois together, um, knowing that they're probably not going to be able to, to, to withstand a whole season like that. But, you know, Tristan Jari coming in as a guy, they, relatively young too still, you, you could do worse than that. I mean, even a Freddie Anderson, man, like Fre- Fred, <laughs> another guy with health issues, but when, when Freddie's there, he's really good. Like, he's a really good netminder. It's not going to be the same um, easy ride as he had in Carolina. No doubt about that. But, again, if you're Freddie and maybe looking to a place that can give you 50 starts, well, Winnipeg can offer that. And then you can try to cash in on a payday next offseason, right? So there's there's a few intriguing ones. And that's just the UFA goalies too, right, Hus? There's probably going to be a handful of teams. I mean, we're not even talking about – Maybe you trade Hellebuck to one team and use some of those assets to get a Carter Hart, for example. And there's your future in that, right? Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, there's a way you could work this depending on what you get back here to to go shopping and, and find a guy that can be either your goalie of the future or just a stopgap for a year or two. Well, and, and here's the other funny thing. Depending on what comes back in these deals with Hellebuck and with Dubois and potentially Shifley, the Jets may end up with far more cap space than you might have projected um, if those guys were all on the team. 
And if that's the case, then all of a sudden, Brandon, you're in the you're you put yourself in a position that you might be able to take a goaltender that is maybe a little overpaid for his role in another team. Jack take Campbell. him to come here. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Jack Campbell is an interesting one. Although with that, you got to swallow four years of a contract. Yeah, that, yeah the, I, don't, I don't want to deal with the, with that long of a poison. But the pill, reason yeah. I bring that up, and I mean, sure, like he'd be in that conversation is what's the sweetener? What's a team like Edmonton willing to get that off the books with where they're at in challenging for a cup? And that could be sort of an under-discussed part of the opportunities that come out of this for the Winnipeg Jets when all the chips fall. So 100% it. I mean, Campbell is an intriguing one because, I mean, he's not as bad as he was this past season, but that's a pretty rough contract to have still. But having said that, like, could you get a Dylan Holloway out of taking the Campbell deal on? Like, you're for sure getting at least a first-round pick out of it. But, like, I wonder, I really wonder just how much they'd have to pay to get out of it. But there's a handful of teams right now, I think, you can call them contenders or even just playoff teams, that might need to shave off three, four, five million of the cap to try to make some improvements elsewhere, and that's that's why you, you know utilizing and weaponizing cap space is is really I think one of the most underappreciated tools that a GM can use. I mean, we we've seen other clubs do that to to great benefit, and hey, if that's what the Winnipeg Jets have to do, then, then go ahead and do it, and that can kind of play into the we want to try to still have somewhat of a wild card team this year, right? Um, you know, I, I think obviously Chicago is going to be one of the teams that does that. But there's a handful of teams out there as well that are going to be looking to bring in, hey, we'll take on, we don't really care about a guy's cap hit for next year if it's six mil. We've got some space and insulate the youngsters and things like that. There, there's no reason the Jets can't do that on maybe a one or a two-year deal, ideally, and have somebody come in like that. Um, are they going to go that route? I would be very surprised. Uh, but I think that's... That's definitely one of the avenues that we've seen this management group shy away from. And I think it's a really underutilized tool in terms of kind of quietly, efficiently building out um, a franchise that can compete year in, year out. Brandon Rewicki's with us. Make sure to subscribe to Skates and Plates wherever you get your favorite pods. Um, Rue, if we're looking at the Winnipeg Jets uh, and Pierre-Luc Dubois as a potential landing spot in LA but also in Montreal we've heard so much about Montreal what was your reaction to the news today of Dubois or um, excuse me Sean Monaghan signing a one-year deal I've heard different takes I've heard that is sort of a stopgap and that makes it more likely for them to maybe make a run for Dubois depending on what goes out uh, on if he's coming in and I've heard other people say that I mean, this just goes to show that they have a plan of the guys there right now, and it probably doesn't include Pierre-Luc Dubois. They have to give up big assets now and sign him to that eight-year deal. Yeah, I don't think it really changes anything. I mean, they they really like what Monaghan did, unfortunately, you know, as is the case with him these last few years until he got injured. Like, he was was giving them pretty effective minutes in their bottom six. I I think as a third-line center, you feel pretty good about that guy being your third-line pivot. Ultimately, with Montreal, though, it it comes down to this. Are they willing to give up Kirby Doc in a trade? If they are, then they probably have one, <laughs> to, to be honest, because you'd be able to get that sign and trade done pretty quickly. Um, by all accounts, Montreal is not interested in doing that. And I, I think that's probably the right call on their part. Like, I, I would rather lean towards the, the younger player with a bit more upside as opposed, and on a cheaper deal as well, as opposed to giving a guy, you know, eight, nine million dollars, then all the risks that come with, 
with Dubois' game, which I think has to be taken into consideration as well. So that, that that's really the only sticking point. I like this, there's a deal in place here if they want it, but I think Montreal and, and Ken Hughes are just saying no on Doc, and Chevy's probably replying back. That's fine. If he's available, let me know. If not, we're taking our business elsewhere. It's it's just that simple. Hey, uh, let's just have a little fun here for a second. Dubois has reportedly given Chevy, or Pat Prasson's given Chevy, a list of five to six teams. We know Montreal's a team. We know the Kings are a team. We think the New York Rangers are one of those teams. Any speculation on, like, a team that might be on that list, that might be a part of this, that we haven't heard or that might surprise people because maybe not necessarily of where they are, but how competitive they've been recently. Okay. I mean, yeah, I I don't know if Colorado would be considered one of those, but I would, I would have the abs as a bit of a sleeper team. It doesn't really fit into what Carolina does. Like I, I I don't see them taking the leap like that there. They've usually, I mean, they, they lean pretty heavily on analytics. They look for, ways to gain edges as opposed to just kind of taking a leap and, and and grabbing somebody on on potential as opposed to maybe what they've shown on the ice so far. I, I don't know if I buy the Minnesota thing at all either, Hus. No, I don't. I mean, they've got no cap space either. I don't either. know how they do it. Like, even if he said, oh, yeah. that's my number one choice, I don't know how they do it unless you're going to trade uh, yeah, I, I, Goldie I don't or something really like team. that that's already signed in. What no, about I a mean, team like the Ducks? And I say the Ducks because this is not a contending team by any stretch. They do have a lot of young talent. They are going to be picking second overall. But listen, if you're down with moving to L.A. and playing for the Kings, you're sort of realizing this is a big picture. Teams will go up and down. A team like Anaheim is a spot where I think guys absolutely love to play. And I think you could be pretty sure that if you're getting your money and you're in Anaheim, you'll be a relatively happy camper. And then, I mean, I think you could probably make the argument that while they sucked last year, looking ahead with the players that they have in the mix, and certainly if you're a Dubois, you could help that bring forward maybe a team like that. Like, we haven't heard anything like that, but I I do often think about those teams maybe outside of the box. And certainly when you talk about the Ducks, the Ducks would have plenty of young assets and draft capital that could, I think, facilitate a deal. And maybe if they wanted to get aggressive, if they really had that wanted, and I'm not saying that they do, um, outbid a Montreal or L.A. to make that deal happen. Yeah, and I think they got the most cap space of any team in the NHL heading into the offseason. So that's not an issue for them. A little more flexibility, too. Like they can put Zegras on the wing or Dubois out on the wing, assuming they take Fantilli. So some kind of a combination of Fantilli, Dubois, Zegras, I mean, even if they were your, your top three centermen, and then you have McTavish too. I I, yeah, to I mean, that, that wouldn't that. shock me. That that did kind of jog my my thinking, though, because the one team that 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 intrigues me a ton, and I think they're going to be very, very aggressive this offseason, I just don't know who they're going to go after because that's kind of the way Stevie Y likes to operate. But I, I wonder what the Red Wings do. And may, maybe, maybe Detroit seems like more of a Shifley bet than a Dubois bet. But you talk about teams that are, quote-unquote, on the rise. You know, they made a big splash in free agency last year. Like, they're, they're looking to kind of eventually vault themselves into playoff team status as opposed to, you know, we're still rebuilding. Um, I mean, they've got a ton of prospects. Picks, prospects, cap space, all that. Um, maybe it's not Dubois. Maybe it's Shifley. 
But the Red Wings would be a really, really intriguing team to me on on one of the two Jets centermans because then to have that one-two punch of Larkin and then one of Winnipeg's centermen down the middle, that, that makes that team much more formidable. I, I think that might be a better Shifley fit, to be honest, um, especially with some of the Stevie Y Shifley comparisons before. Um, and I, I could see Stevie Y trying to bet on, hey, give me a 40-goal-scoring centerman and I can... <laughs> help to mold his intangibles because I've had some experience doing that in, uh, in another lifetime that I had. Well, and, um, and, and let's face it. I mean, Stevie Y apparently was Mark Shifley's idol growing up. I yeah. mean, maybe he'll listen to, maybe he'll actually listen to Steve Eiserman. If he doesn't um, listen to Stevie, then I don't, what, what hope is there I for anybody else? I don't, I, I'd love to see the text message from Bones if that happens. Good luck, Steve. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> um, Brandon, congrats again on the, uh, the new edition. Thanks for doing this, buddy. And, uh, Enjoy your trip this week. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk soon. Have a great week. You got it. We'll catch up with you at some point next week for your takes while we're down in Nashville. Looking forward to it. Take it easy, buddy. You too, man. All right. Jeff Hamilton coming up in just a second. Great stuff with Ruwiki. Hey, folks, if you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, and Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products, too, you got to get on down to Vita Health Fresh Market Stores or online at myvita.ca. Barbecue season's in full swing. Vita Health has great, delicious, grass-fed bison and beef steaks. And with Men's Health top of mind, check out Garden of Life formulas, including Prostate Protect and Once Daily Men's to support men's gastrointestinal health. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations and online at myvita.ca. Wallace & Wallace is Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist. If your property needs the security and protection of a new fence, or if winter did a number on your old one, give them a holler. They have vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. Pretty much anything you need is the leaders in the industry. And if it's time to replace your garage door, make sure you talk to Wallace and Wallace as they have Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give them a call at 452-2700. Their team will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them online at wallacefences.com or pop down to the showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Hey, how's the closet looking, fellas? Are you ready for wedding season and what is to come? Uh, if not, or if even if you're looking ahead to fall, get your uh, get your wardrobe spiced up down at the uh, experts in the game, F Apparel. Winnipeg's leaders in menswear, custom gear, and custom suits beginning at just 400 bucks. not to mention chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. If you're in a wedding party, make sure to talk to them about a 15% discount on your suits when the wedding party gets their suits from F Apparel as well. Pop down and see them in person at 190 Smith Street downtown or make an appointment online at fephapparel.com. Uh, I'm not sure there's a better day all year to hit up Nick and Nikki for a blizzard than today. 34 degrees Celsius, steamy outside right now. Nothing can uh, make those hot summer days better than a delicious DQ ice cream treat at one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, and DQ Niverville. And uh, while you're there with the fam, grab a couple boxes of uh, Dilly Bars or the uh, Buster Bars. Stick them in the fridge so you've got the great taste of DQ whenever you have. You can hit them up on Instagram as well, at DQ Manitoba, for the latest merchandise, for the, uh, uh, if you need a DQ ice cream cake. Or a blizzard cake. Trust me, they're amazing. All right. Derek Taylor still to come after bomber practice. Right now, though, 
It's Howard time. Let's welcome in Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. What's going on, my friend? How are you? I'm doing really good. Uh, just getting back at it today after spending a few days in Ottawa. I got a great opportunity to um, be part of a four-year four class for the Missioner Award, which I was nominated for in 2021 for my Graham James series. So it was uh, it was really cool to be out there. What did they do? They just gave an award out for every year? I mean, they just packed no, it all No, it was one? like, so it was crazy. It was, um, so typically they would have like a, an awards gala. They would nominate that year, but but with, with COVID, uh, really threw a wrench in a ton of things. So there's actually the 2019 class that didn't get their uh, gala in 2020. There's the 2020 class, which I was part of, that didn't get the gala in 2021. Uh, both of them were online, virtual, cool, but certainly not to the degree we experienced this past weekend. And then they delayed the 2021 nominees uh, a year and grouped them together. So we kind of we kind of jumped on them. So although they knew the winners of our classes, they didn't know the winners of the last two classes. And so they did this big grand ceremony at the Rideau Hall during the day. Um, felt really, you know, royal family esque, like the way they the way they presented stuff. Like there was a guy dressed up in all the garb that was changing the booklet for everyone that spoke. Um, and then we had a gala dinner at night, which was was just tremendous to have that many people that care about journalism and that kind of in depth journalism all in one room. So it was, uh, yeah, it was certainly certainly returned to Winnipeg with a renewed optimism for that kind of stuff, and also looking forward to talk sports as we get well, back. I know you were busy out on the weekend, and congrats again on uh, that, and to everyone that was involved in the event. Um, and you were not in Regina, but I know you've watched the Bomber game. We're going to get to all the jet stories and topics in just a second, but I didn't want to gloss over the Bombers who look, once again, like the standard in the Canadian Football League. I mean, pretty crazy. Trevor Harris had an unreal game. I mean, passing for over four yards, three touchdowns to that one dude, and the Bombers still win comfortably by 18 points to make it eight in a row. Um what a start for this club. And, man, it looks like there's a pretty big gap. I guess we'll find out a lot more about that gap between the Bombers and everyone else on Thursday. Wow. It was like you were in my mini story meeting in my own head this morning. I call it Deja Blue because this team is just becoming, you know, it, it might just be two games and pretty convincing wins despite, as you mentioned, I mean, Trevor Harris uh, and the Rough Riders certainly put up a fight early on and through through three quarters for the most part, but still lost by 18 points. Um, you know, when all was said and done, thanks to, a, you know, a really a, a great effort from the offense down the stretch. But, yeah, I mean, it's two games, but how do you, you know, you look around the rest of the league. I think it's a big test coming up here on Thursday against the BC Lions, a team that's also 2-0 and is playing some pretty good football. Um, but you look around the rest of the league and it's kind of, you know, you're kind of left wanting a bit. I should mention Toronto. They got back into it this weekend after having a week one bye, and they looked pretty good too. Chad Kelly rushed in three TDs. Andrew Harris rushed in another. Uh, they certainly, uh, you know, did a beat down on Hamilton this week. So they're they're also looking like the team probably that's going to take the East again. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I mean, with the Bombers, it just looks like when one area of the team, you know, week two, it was maybe the defense didn't have as dominating an effort as week one. You had other areas pick up the slack, obviously on offense. You know, Zach Kolaros and company continued to be juggernauts in the league. And, and then certainly special teams who had an off week in week one, you know, took things personally against the Rough Riders, Janarian Grants, return touchdown. I don't think you'll see a nicer one than that. And, uh, you know, the punting and obviously, you know, Sergio Castillo and the field goal kicking department. I mean, it's just this team's just uh, once again built to be dominant. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised 
if they don't go on a similar run as we've seen in the past couple seasons. It's funny you mentioned special teams. I thought coming out of week one, that would have been one area, you know, more on the kick coverage and whatnot that, you know, Mike O'Shea would have liked to have cleaned up. They certainly did. Castillo has been, as advertised, he's been phenomenal. But you mentioned that punt return. I mean, we, I, I literally, we could spend all week talking about that because that is such an incredible athletic feat what he did i think he ran a total of about 155 yards to make that happen and literally made every guy on the rough riders miss a tackle but jeff i did want to ask you about the challenge um that was something that i don't think many people had seen uh, even or even knew that you were able to challenge an illegal block on a play of that nature it certainly was the right call by mike o'shea i mean uh, were you surprised? Is that something that you had to look? Wait a second, can you do that? Because I hadn't seen that before. A couple things. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised about the shock of it all, right? Everyone goes, "Oh, I can't believe you know you would you would even challenge that play." I just didn't uh, know it was know. legal. I didn't know well, you were allowed to challenge. Right. Those plays. But even even then, even when people found out it was legal, they go, "Well, you know, there's no way. You know, there's so many of those plays in in return. You know, in in, in punt and kickoff returns that." If you were to challenge, you're probably going to find something somewhere, right? And that it's going to reinforce it. But at the end, at, at, on the other side, where it's not surprising is why not take a challenge on that, regardless, especially obviously if you're allowed to, but to to you know uphold what was an incredible moment uh, and arguably one of the best return touchdowns in the game. I mean, I know we're in recency, you know, recency bias here, but. Uh, that was just bananas. I mean, you look at some of the, you know, you talked to Paul Boudreaux who addressed the media yesterday. He called it number one in his books. And, you know, he's seen a lot, both from the NFL and the CFL he's been a part of. He was part of those St. Louis Rams teams that were doing nutty stuff on special teams. So he's seen, you know, some pretty incredible stuff in, in over his career. And uh, But just the style in which it happened. I mean, the, you know, the... Um, you know, what, what he was able to do, the blocks he was able to shed, the fact that while it's a team sport and certainly guys played their role on that play, it was a one-man show in Janarian Grant on several of those broken tackles. So to challenge the, to, the play, to me, was just a no-brainer and that at the very least you wanted to uphold that, that great return. The insight behind this, and we haven't been hearing from anybody, is that I don't think they call it if there's not an injury on the field. For, for, for Saskatchewan, I think it's a, you know, I don't know if there's enough time, if it, it, if it would have bought Winnipeg enough time to look back and check it out, but because you're not just checking one particular play, you're checking kind of everything and, and all angles and because you don't really want to, you don't want to lose your challenge because you're at a pivotal point in the game too, where it's close. Um, but at the same time, you, you really want to see a, you know, an incredible run count. And so that injury there ultimately led to the added time to look at the video, to check it out. Um, and that's what ultimately led to the challenge. So it was, a, well, I guess the, oh. the one other thing was that they called the penalty on Nick Dembski, who was right. not yeah, on the special, exactly. teams he was even on special team. So, so that would have been a, an indicator. So you immediately go to Les Morrow uh, at zero zeros um, and go check him out. And you obviously wouldn't have seen that. So yeah, that would have been easily your first indicator, but I don't even know if that was really going through the mind. I'm sure it was going through the mind of head coach, Mike O'Shea. He knows exactly who's on those units, but it's actually executing the time to look at the replay beyond 30 seconds. Because again, as great as that touchdown was, as great as that return was, it was a close game at that point in time. And you don't want to lose your, your uh, challenge either. Well, the funniest thing was the way the ref called it too. It was after further review, 
every we reviewed all potential blocks on the play and there was nothing illegal touchdown bombers a uh, uh but as they say definitely worth the risk for mike o'shea considering a positive outcome would have been six on the board and i think you almost got to do that for your guy if there's major questions about it um after exactly. what we what we just saw hey just before we get to the jets and we're going to talk to dt a little later on we'll get more into this matchup against the lions Zach Caleros continues to be the bar for quarterback play right now. He's looked brilliant in the first couple games. Who's the number two quarterback in the league right now, in your mind? We've been talking about this this week. Interested in your perspective on that. And how big is the gap between what the Bombers have and everybody else? Yikes. Put me on the spot a little bit as I go through, because I've watched all the games, seen all the, all the stats. And I just, I mean, I'm reluctant to say Chad Kelly, because although he ran for three touchdowns, which is a big deal for a quarterback, um, you know, if Caleros, you know, was the guy who was punching in touchdowns, he'd have a couple too, which he did have one this week was pretty impressive. Um, you know, you can't be Bo Levi Mitchell. I think it's Jake Mayer. You know, I mean, if, if you look around the league, I mean, Trevor Harris probably, you know, is probably your clear cut number two after, because he played well. He threw for over 400 yards. And, and um, I'm going to say Trevor Harris for sure is your number two because of what he was able to do the Bombers defense. And more importantly, what he was able to do with guys like Bain Jr., who looked like a stud, Smith, who looked like a stud, like, or Jones, Savon Jones, sorry, who looked like a stud. Those guys all both eclipsed 100 receiving yards last week. Um, and they don't have, you know, you know, they, they don't have, a, you know, are missing a handful of guys. So uh, to me, I probably, it's probably Trevor Harris. You, you, you head over. I mean, we haven't seen Jeremiah Masoli yet, assuming that he's, you know, fully healthy from his leg injury. He was playing some great football. I've always, always been a fan of Jeremiah Masoli for sure. Um, but certainly Bo Levi Mitchell's not looking like the player we thought he would with Hamilton. Um, you're looking at, you know, Cody Fajardo, Taylor Cornelius, certainly, you know, you put up it's a goose egg. Yeah, it's not him, obviously, with all despite all the weapons that he has. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, we talked about this. I've written about this. Like, it's a bit of a crapshoot for for quarterbacks, and um, you know, I think that really is is in all the areas that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are, are dominating at. I don't think there is a greater margin between one and two than Zach Claris and whoever's behind him. Vernon Adams has also been playing well, so that that's the other one, right? Vernon, I would say if it's tier one. You have Zach Claris, tier two probably has, you know, Vernon Adams and and Trevor Harris, and then maybe Chad Kelly, depending on what he can do, and then the rest, it's going to shuffle its way out, I think. It's quite clear the odds makers aren't as impressed with the start of the BC Lions, or maybe they just think the Bombers are that good because the Bombers are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home right now. We'll get to the cool bet lines a little bit later on. Remo, you might want to fire up the Dubois drama logo because you know where we're going here, the Winnipeg Jets in the offseason. Jeff, we are just over a week away from the first round going down in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we're hearing a ton on Pierre-Luc Dubois, Connor Hellebuck's name mentioned prominently, Shifley, Wheeler, and many other things. Uh, what do you make? Oh, let's start off with Dubois because the news... Of course, Sean Monaghan signed a one-year extension with the Montreal Canadiens. We heard Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman earlier today talking about what that might mean. Uh, is he a placeholder for a year till they can get Dubois? Or um, are they preparing themselves potentially to see Dubois go elsewhere? I know you've been kind of doing everything you can to get as much information on this. I mean, uh, 
We're one week away from presumably uh, a bit of a deadline in reality to get this deal done before the draft. I'll be honest. I'm waking up every morning from here on out, assuming news is going to break about a, a trade. You know, I think if you read around or if you talk around with people, there's clearly a desire for for Montreal to have Pierre Dubois for all the reasons. You know, we've we've talked about whether you know it, you know him being a French Canadian, obviously being a big you know power forward who's a centerman is is coveted by all teams, not just Montreal. Um, you know, his his you know admiration for that city and that and and that franchise you know all the drama from last year and him being at the draft heck the drama goes back to when he was in columbus i mean this is the destination that he's wanted to be in you know publicly self-admittedly i mean you ask him he'll tell you anyone who's a french canadian in, in in the nhl dreams of one day has dreamed and continues to dream of one day donning the the canadian canadians uh jersey however um just because you want to, just because two sides want to make a deal or two sides want to, you know, have that marriage doesn't mean it always works out. And the Jets are going to do what's best for them. And if the Montreal Canadiens can offer up a Kirby Doc kind of, you know, return at the very least, I don't think the Jets are going to be all that interested in working on a long-term extension for for the Montreal Canadiens to take their, you know, arguably number one centerman from their team. So um, that doesn't mean. That Pierre Dubois isn't gone. I believe he's gone by the trade deadline. I or sorry, by the by the NHL draft in a week. I just don't see, given all the work that Kevin Shevelyev has on his, you know, on his plate right now. Obviously, with with Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck and, and Blake Wheeler, also, you know, potential bodies to be moved out. Uh, how you can stick around and deal with this, but at the same time. Um, you have to get the best return, and so I think you know I I, I imagine those teams that. That, that Pierre-Luc Dubois put down, I, I'll throw that out there. I mean, L.A. has obviously been one that's talked about. New York's probably another one. I've heard rumblings about teams like the Anaheim Ducks, um, which isn't, you know, isn't a win-now club, but might be a young and exciting group, and you can wear flip-flops to the rink. It, it, it all kind of depends on, you know, who are the teams that are, are obviously on the list and then what they're willing to give up. Because that, I mean, as much as that does help out the Winnipeg Jets, Pierre-Luc Dubois' ability to work with the team, to work towards an extension, that's going to that's gonna result in, in, in a better return for Winnipeg. I just think it's one of those things that Winnipeg is, is fine um, with waiting, um, waiting out for better offers and, and not taking something just for the sake of getting a deal done. We've seen that. We've seen that in the past with with players. It's been sometimes a grueling, exhaustive process. Um, but the fact is that if the Jets want to retool, uh, if they want to be a good, you know, be a, I don't, I'm not putting them in Stanley Cup contender, but contend for the playoffs, you know, as as soon as next year or or the year after, um, you have to win this trade. You have to get players who are, you know, who are if they're not if they're they're young and established maybe one year away from from going off or two years because you can't you can't be getting prospects you can't be getting picks because all, all those things turn what you hope to be a retool into a rebuild and then you're making the other guys you have on your roster and the Josh Morrisseys the Kyle Connors the Nikolai Ehlers not happy with with the direction you're heading so this one while it seems like it's the most obvious to get done, I think it's the most important to get done as far as that return. I think we're going to get an answer before the NHL draft in a week's time. Yeah, no doubt. Jeff Hamilton with us from the Winnipeg Free Press here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, how did you read the Monaghan signing one year? Um, is that a placeholder or is that just, uh, I mean, basically preparing themselves that they're going to need a little bit more center depth if 
They're not willing to pay the price or the contract demands of Pierre-Luc Dubois. He likely ends up elsewhere. I think it's a bit of both. I think Sean Monaghan had a really great um, look. From what you under, from all accounts, from talking to players, um, talking to you know former teammates, current teammates, uh, this guy's a very, very good teammate. And and you know we we've seen Sean Monaghan in the past play the way Sean Monaghan has. Um, you know, a, a strong game, an offensive, an offensive producer, but he's he's dealt with injuries over time, right? So I just, you know, maybe this is a, maybe this is a let's not give up on this guy until we see exactly what we can get from him. Opportunity, perhaps he's insurance. I mean, I don't see how you couldn't see it as, you know, if you don't get Pierre Luc Dubois, how it isn't potential insurance there. But I, I think, I think the the. The prognosis, if you will, or the predictions for for Sean Monaghan is he's going to have a bounce back year, but there's certainly no guarantee to it. So I don't see the signing as any indication that you know the the, the Canadians would be moving on from adding a player like Pierre Luc Dubois. But I do think it makes a little sense just when you look at the you know how much he's getting paid. Obviously, the term it's kind of one of those, hey, show me what you know, show us, and we'd love to reward you for it. You know. You know, uh, we spent a lot of time last week talking about the uh, Kings' rumored interest and what the Kings may potentially be willing to trade for a Pierre-Luc Dubois. They've got some talented young players that presumably would be the apple of the Winnipeg Jets' eye. Um, I do think, Jeff, for all that we've heard of Montreal, and sort of that's the assumed destination that he's going to end up in, it was quite significant to hear that Pat Brisson's going to be able to attempt to broker deals with teams, a number of five to six, and they're looking to do a sign and trade for an eight-year deal where he signs with the Winnipeg Jets and then it is is dealt. Obviously, I think that's the best case scenario for the Winnipeg Jets. Do, are, are you on board with all of that? Is that what you're hearing the plan is? And if we know that, how would we, uh, like what, what percentage would you give the likelihood of going to Habs, LA, or Team Other? From what I've been hearing, L.A. is interested in three of the Jets players. I hear they're interested in Mark Scheifele. I hear they're interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I hear they're interested in Connor Hallebuck. And the buzz that I was hearing is that they'll make, you know, like every other team, they're going to make the best decision for the best outcome for their respective club. And I, I, would, I, I, would, I would see Pierre-Luc Dubois as a, you know, as a guy that they would covet for sure because, you know, in, in a year's time, Anze Kopitar is probably moving on. Right. I mean, that, like, I'm not saying that that Pierre Dubois is the modern day Anze Kopitar, but I'm also not saying that, you know, like to replace one power forward with another modern day power forward. If that's the style in which you you like, then that looks like an ideal situation. But L.A. needs goal scoring. Mark Shifley scored 42 last year. They need goaltending. If you ask anybody, you know, I know, you know, Obviously, they made some moves at the end to, to you know, get rid of quick and, and start something, but they got a whole new new situation, clean slate if they don't re-sign. Um, so I, I, I could see the LA Kings looking at all three of those guys and maybe, t- maybe looking at if they can't get a Pierre-Luc Dubois, which I think is probably number one on their list, maybe they're looking at the two other options as possibilities as backup plans or seeing what the best offer is. I could see them placing those kind of offers to the Jets, seeing what the best one is and choosing one of them. Um, but to your question, LA Kings, there's no secret that they're interested in his, in, in his, in his services. They have the money, they have the need, they have the team that if you added a guy like Pierre Dubois, it'd be pretty, pretty interesting um, to your mix. I would say you're looking at if 
you ask me for percentages, I would say it's a third each way. And I know that's a cop out. I, I and I, I think you might have a bitter bit better odds of it being the LA Kings if you're, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, because I don't think that the Montreal Canadiens have those pieces or are willing to give up those pieces that you're asking for. You know, the, the younger players, the, you know, those kind of, those guys certainly not the fifth overall pick in Montreal. Um, and so you, I, I would put probably maybe a 40% chance in, in LA, a 33% chance in Montreal and then you do the math for me what is that 27 whatever that is um whatever that math equates to for 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 anybody else but you know that the two teams I think the two teams that everyone's talking about and certainly have been not so you know not so private about their interest in Pierre-Luc Dubois are the two teams that are going to go the hardest out there you know I I mean the other the other part of this and it's quite clear and I mean every good general manager would do this and I really feel this is exactly what's happening is they know what their offers are right now and they're playing them on each other to increase the return for the Winnipeg Jets how serious are these teams I I wouldn't be surprised if Sheveldayoff has a deal a concrete offer on his table from the Los Angeles Kings uh, and maybe working Montreal to see if they can give more at the same time, though, I mean, it is risky if Montreal's trying to slow play this and long uh, because Chevy might just say, all right, no problem. Here's the deal. Boom. L.A. is done. And obviously there's more to get done because there's the contract involved. But I think a lot of those things, the framework probably would already be set up in place by Pat Brisson before any handshakes were done. Absolutely. And the one thing I'm and I've been saying this on your show now for weeks, I'm just curious where Pierre-Luc Dubois health status is at right now, because to me, this whole willing to work with the Winnipeg Jets on a long-term deal and trade, that sounds nice, but if I don't buy that stuff. Like I don't I I, I think he's looking to sign a long-term deal so that he, you know, so he can kind of get past what I think might be an odd year for him. I'm not projecting he's gonna be hurt next season, but he had some major issues in, you know, hanging into the into the year. And and so where is he at physically? You know, I, you, you hear rumblings about not showing up to physicals, you know, there's always the opportunities of failing physicals. Like where is Pierre-Luc Dubois' physical health at right now? Because, you know, it's great to have the long-term security of a long-term deal, but prior to this whole willingness to work with the Winnipeg Jets when he seemingly wasn't willing to work in the third period of the game five against Vegas Golden Knights. Like what, why is that all of a sudden becoming a, you know, a, a thing he's willing to do? And, and that speaks to me about, Something, something isn't right there. So as great as it, as it sounds for the Jets, uh, you know, as great as it sounds for PLD's camp to help out the Jets, um, I don't well, know. It helps them I'm out to, too. I mean, listen, if you sure want an eight, if you want a big money eight year contract right now, you got to play within, you know, with, with the Winnipeg Jets. I well, mean, the help is to... that it gives you the team because any team that's going to acquire Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to try to sign him to a long term deal, right? So it's. I think it helps on both sides that you're right. I mean, it certainly helps, uh, you know, the Jets value part and it helps, um, you know, obtain value in return and also helps Pierre Dubois get that deal that he wants. But it's not like, you know, it's not like he wouldn't probably get that anywhere he signed. Right. Here's I mean, the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Next year's free agent class is way different than this year's. Totally. There is not a lot of big name talent at almost any of the positions right now for the for, uh, for coming up on July 1st. The following year, if guys don't sign extensions, that is a very, very different story. 
And I think Dubois realizes right now there's interested teams that are willing to make the commitment to him. And Broussant's saying that. And listen, if he went somewhere and had a terrible year, and you know what happened in Columbus, and then what happened in Winnipeg, and he doesn't have a great year next year, what does that do to his potential to hit a home run and make that big deal that probably is going to be on the table from a suitor right now? Um, and listen, there's a lot of risk involved. And in some ways, they've taken risk the last couple of years, and they're taking a risk not accepting a long-term offer from the Winnipeg Jets. So they're kind of looking to have their cake and eat it too, get to a place that he wants to go, but also get that security and the extra year on an eight-year deal on a contract that probably will be the biggest he ever signs in his professional career. No, those are terrific points, but I could throw one back at you. Is his value as high as it could be? You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I get the idea of gambling. I mean, yeah. Do we all think he's going to go to another team and turn into some guy that's way better than the one we've seen the last couple of years? I mean, it certainly wasn't lack of opportunity that was holding no, him back for, here. for sure. And, and so, he, yeah, no, but I'm just saying, I mean, if he believes, because right now, you know, Pierre Dubois, much like Mark Shifley a couple of years ago, like Mark Shifley, if you asked him two, two three years ago, how much his next contract was going to be, he'd be eyeing double digits, right? And I mean, and and Pierre Dubois isn't thirty; he's twenty-four years old. So he doesn't. He does. You know, we all know. You know, big centermen get paid. We also know centermen that score points get paid. And while Pierre Dubois got closer to that point per game player, he never really got there, right? Like he 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 probably thinks that he has more points. He's he, he can get more points, right? He can play better hockey right I think he still thinks he's working into that two-way player so as much as you're right like you know I think there's a there there is that irony the irony of it all is Jeff I mean let's just talk about Montreal I mean if he goes to Montreal he's not the number one center I mean they got Nick Suzuki there who's got a C on his chest and I mean if Kirby Doc is still there as well listen it gives you a formidable from a team perspective a formidable center position up and down but I don't know, is that the best case scenario for Pierre-Luc Dubois to go and have a career year in a contract season? I mean, I'm not sure. And to be honest, right. I'm not sure that's the case in L.A. or some of these other spots. That's so if point. there is someone that's willing to pay him the money right now and commit to him for eight years, I get why Pat Brisson wants to make that happen. Oh, I completely understand that part of the gamble. I, I, I'm just bringing, you know, I'm just saying that while his, while a lot of the talk around his skill set right now or his sort his future contract is maxing out around nine million dollars and most of i've read and, and heard reported is that teams don't want to pay him nine million dollars and i'm not saying that it'll be a, it'll be above eight that money but it'll, yeah, i bet it's i bet it's 8.25 or something like that that's probably well, there's all these different being. comparisons recent you know recently right like jasper bread in, in new jersey like that's another one that's doesn't work in his favor right when it comes to points and stuff but he is a unique player he I, I certainly see the arguments of both sides if i were him i'd be tired of going you know one year or two years and, and proving yourself I, you know he obviously wants to have that long-term security in a place that he wants to play he just finds himself in the you know in some in, you know in some cases the unfortunate spot of not really having complete control while he does have leverage does not have complete control of where he goes and he's he's right now battling with the Jets organization who is is and we've seen in the past is willing to play hardball when it comes to negotiating whether it be a trade or a contract extension so it'll be fascinating to see what happens here and while I'm predicting and many are predicting that this deal could get should and will get done prior to the NHL draft 
there's always the chance with this organization that it bleeds beyond that. Well, and, and, and I mean, hey, these are, this is a crossroads for this organization. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, and the other thing, like, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they've kind of figured out we've got an offer that we're good to go with on, uh, for, on Pierre-Luc Dubois and are now operating going on to number two on the list, Connor Hellebuck and other things. Um, because here's the thing, Jeff. Like, let's just say for a minute, I mean, I know I've always had fun dreaming that Pierre-Luc Dubois might end up in Boston and haunting the Habs for eight years. Um, you know, if you were trading Dubois to Boston, maybe Jeremy Swayman's part of that mix. Well, that changes what you're looking and asking for with the Connor Hellebuck trade with another team if you've already gotten the goaltender that you think you're going to lean on as your number one through a trade of Dubois. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is kind of a domino effect of the deals that happen. But it's pretty clear. I think with both of those players for sure, and I would even add in Shifley, although I've been less confident on that, that those get done maybe even as early as a couple or as late as a couple days before the draft, um, because certainly there'll probably be a pick or two involved and, um, you know, there'll be some more preparation with the new reality of how this team and roster looks after a trade or two going into uh, a number of other possibilities, including other player moves on the draft floor. So here's the thing, and this is, in, this is interesting. I don't know if we talked about it on the show last week. Uh, yeah, we did talk about it on the show last week. I think the Jets have a real, real great opportunity. I mean, if you're adverse to picks, this is kind of the happy medium of it, right? Because there's lots of talk about this draft how great and deep this draft is. I've heard, I've talked to people who are, you know, advisors, scouts. They're saying that's not true. Like they're, they're, they're not saying it's not a, a, a talented draft. They're saying it's not a, as deep as people are projecting. Like this idea that you can hit a home run out of the, uh, out of round two or round three or round four, round five, that exists every single draft. There's players who get, who, who blossom at different rates and, and explode onto the scene from those various rounds. What, where the confidence is in the people I've spoke to and the teams I've spoke to is, is the top end of the first round, say the top t- first 20 players. So if the Winnipeg Jets want to retool, right? Because I don't think they're in a situation where they need to rebuild because of the players they have under contract right now, the ones that are beyond next season. But I also don't think they're in a position to trade their quality players for anybody of similar ilk. Right. And, and so whether you want to go after those players that are like the youngest, best player, the Kirby docs of, of Montreal and, and players that really nobody wants to get rid of, even if they really want the player you, that, that you have to offer where I think the jets and where they can do their homework and where they've proven to be good at in the past. And this isn't just Kevin shovel off. This is, I'd argue it's more importantly, his group of minds that he has around him that are educating him that are scouting for him that are identifying long-term players the jets given the players they have given the market the trade market out there as you as you noted Huss, isn't that great they have in my opinion the potential to get three picks in that top 20 what are they now 18 the first picks 18 if they can get two more picks you could kind of be like the boston bruins of years ago and just don't miss you know what i mean like Find those players in that Barzell and, if, and, and, and if it's as good as everyone's saying it is, you have your players. You almost have your new culture. You have the new players you're going to build around, and you have your young, older 
younger players, your younger, older players, like the, the Kyle Connors, the Nikolai Ehlers, and the Josh Morrissey's, to then help bring them in. And I think it makes you a competitive team, makes you a cost, you know, uh, you know, you're not going to be paying up to the salary cap. You're going to be shedding salary and you're going to be relying on exciting players and then finding that success in a year or two's time. A rebuild is five, six, seven years. It's grueling. It's tanking for years to come. It's hoping to hit lottery yeah, picks. That's it's not, it's not fun. Retooling isn't a on the fly going to be a great team than one season to the next. There's usually a lull. And I think that would be an ideal situation for the Jets staff to do their jobs go out there and get some of those early picks and build around players who can be the new identity of your team in a couple of years time yeah i mean listen those picks certainly have a lot of value this year and i mean if i'm kevin Sheveldayoff, if i'm that group i'm definitely interested in adding some of those i do understand i mean you need to have some warm bodies of some guys that'll come in that might not be up to the caliber of the guys you're trading out but might make the most of that sort of opportunity. Um, and again, our assets as well, if you decide to go the other way. I mean, I, I am sort of at the point, especially if Connor Hellebuck's not part of the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, even being where they were last year is probably unrealistic. So put yourself in the best position to have maybe a short-term setback, but a real exciting future on top of last year's draft class, which so far with just with the players that have signed and what we've seen so far could be the foundation for, you know, a significant part of this team um, in a, a 3.0 uh, era, if you will. Um, and speaking of 3.0 era, to me, that really happens when they move on from Shifley and Wheeler. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about Shifley and his situation. Wheeler's is very different. Where are you at right now with Blake's future in Winnipeg with the Jets and um, how, if anything changes, how does that get done? Um, it's a very interesting question, and there's two trains of thought here, I think. There's the obvious, okay? Honor him whatever way you want with a video, thanking him. Blake Wheeler's done a lot for this organization. He's given his heart and soul to this team, but it's time to cut ties. If you want to bring in a new culture, a new you know, a, a new locker room, new voices. Like you had one coach walk away because he no longer, his voice, you know, didn't resonate. Well, I'm not saying Blake Wheeler's voice doesn't resonate. Clearly it does based on the exit interviews. We, we heard from a lot of veteran players talking about while he lost his seat was still the captain. So that to me, like you almost, it's a situation where you need to save these players from themselves. I'm not painting Blake Wheeler to be a horrible human being and all these things. I'm saying he's not the right voice and personality and leader you want in a room where you're trying to change the leadership, the voice, and the culture. Like, you know, the Jets might say they have a close-knit team that all these guys went to Josh Morrissey's uh, wedding over last summer, like as Rick Bonus loved to talk about over and over. But the, but the fact of the matter is whatever that chemistry is in the locker room is not translating onto the ice. And a lot, we know how, we know the opinions of the Blake Wheelers or the Mark Shifley's and, and, you know, just their attitudes. I mean, you only have to go into the locker room to notice this. I know a lot of people go, oh, yeah, you're reporters, you guys are, you hate these guys or whatever. We don't hate these guys. Come into a locker room for 30 seconds and see what we see on a daily basis, and you'll understand the need for change in that locker room. Heck, Kevin Shevelyoff would bode well coming in during the media times and watching his players conduct themselves to understand the differences of actual leadership and what the Jets have been getting for years now. So, you know, whether it's Mark Shifley can conform, Blake Wheeler needs to go. 
Like, he's only got one year left on his deal. Thank him. Appreciate it. From what I understand, he met with Chipman this week. And this is where the problem lies, is that those two men, and Mark Chipman and Kevin Chevaldeoff, seem to be on a completely different planet than everybody else and have a completely different mindset of what their team needs. And it's why this club so desperately needs a president of hockey operations to filter out these emotional loyalty based decisions, because on um, that's the one line of thinking where this guy clearly needs to go. They need to move on, blah, blah, blah. The other line of thinking is that this team is going to do absolutely nothing, bring them all back, try to show the fan base or whoever they're trying to prove it to maybe themselves that the decisions they've made and the core they've picked just isn't the right core to win a championship, and we're getting deja vu. And the only guys that ever leave this team are the ones that demand, whether it be quietly or publicly, to get the hell out of Dodge, because there's been a handful of them over the years, and it's not the ones that want to stay. It's not the ones that don't deserve top six minutes but get them no matter what. It's not the ones that don't deserve first power play but get it anyways. It's the guys who don't get those opportunities that want out, and unfortunately 26 has become a roadblock for a lot of those things that Jets need to do uh i need to get a fire extinguisher that was some of the uh the biggest heat we've had on this program oh in a long time that was a uh, a great way to end. and listen i don't i do not disagree with you at all um and, and i would put mark in with them i mean as much as blake has been and again both of those guys they're going to go on their own way at some point they'll come back they'll be honored as two of the greatest jets and the biggest most important players in the history of the 2.0 era um but i can't say i disagree with you that the time is long overdue to make some significant moves as it pertains to the core and the culture of this club those are the guys at the top of that list and it, it just happens to be that you're sort of being forced into making moves with hellebuck and dubois because they don't intend to re-sign which uh, puts a lot of pressure on the GM, but also, as we talked about yesterday, and Frank Saravelli, a ton of opportunity involved in that. Going to be a very, very interesting week heading into draft week in Nashville next week. Hammer, awesome as always, man. Great way to finish it up with that flamer for us all. I, I can let us know in the chat what you think about that. Have a great one, and uh, maybe we'll see you at the football game on Thursday. Always a pleasure, my man. Uh, looking forward to uh, to next week as well as we do our regular hits. Thanks for working around me this week, and uh, we'll get back maybe to our usual Monday Monday uh, morning quarterback moving forward. I'm not sure what is hotter, the uh, steaming weather outside or uh, the take that Jeff just dropped. What a great visit from uh, Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press. Hey, uh, pushing 600 in chat right now, folks. If you're new, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hit that red subscribe button before you leave. And uh, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up. We've only got 150. We're at almost 600 people here. Let's get that up to 200 as well. Helps us spread the channel. We are going to be talking bombers coming up in just a couple of minutes with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. Of course, two days from now, bombers look to go 3-0 against the British Columbia Lions. 7.30 start at IG Field. The Princess Auto tailgate zone gets going at 5.30 p.m. 3.50 pop, 3.50 hot dogs, $5 beers. It is the place to be before all Winnipeg Blue Bomber games. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsor of the Bombers and the place where you find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, and you can always shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. 
well, it's hot right now. Probably not the best day to be outside doing some lawn or garden work. Uh, but if you've got that coming up in your future and you need irrigation systems and solutions, get on down to where the golf experts use. And that, of course, is Consolidated Supply. Our pal Joe is the leader in irrigation systems when it comes to both golf courses and your property. They've also got artificial turf, great deals on new and used golf carts is, is the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba and other great options for your property as well, including hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchens. They're also the leaders in small engine reparts and repair consolidated supply pop by and see their new showroom open to the public at 1395 Niagara road East or find out more online at cte.ca. Hey, speaking of that bomber game on Thursday, uh, if you need to outfit yourself in some of the newest and freshest bomber gear around, get on down to Royal Sports at 750 Pemina Highway, Manitoba's number one sports superstore with the biggest and best selection of licensed team gear for all your favorite local teams, not to mention the biggest franchises around North America and the world. Uh, tons of stock in now for summer, soccer, baseball, softball, tennis equipment, disc golf, a huge selection of bikes, Get on down there, Royal Sports, 750 Pembina Highway. You can follow on Instagram at Royal Sports Pembina. And, uh, hey, if you're looking for a great spot to watch the game on Thursday, if you're out of town or not around, no better place than Boston Pizza. Uh, of course, the uh, get-together with friends for the big game with the game on the big screens with big sound at your local BP and enjoy ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, and gourmet pizzas and the latest from the BP feature menu. And uh, hey, staying in, need to just uh, sit back in the AC and get the great taste of BP anytime by ordering online at bostonpizza.com. All right, to IG Field we go. Let's welcome in the voice of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers on 680 CJOB, Derek Taylor. DT, how are you, man? Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Huss. It's good to be back. Uh, anything exciting happened from the Bombers in week number two? He said sarcastically. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was a hell of a performance. Um, and, and you know what? Like, I'll start off by actually giving Saskatchewan credit for the way that they played. I mean, I thought Trevor Harris balled out, had the, you know, three touchdowns to the same receiver. But it just speaks to how the Bombers are the standard right now in the Canadian football league that even as well as the Saskatchewan offense went off, they still lost by 18 points and weren't even close to covering. Yeah. they Sask led in the third quarter of that game, right? And uh, we, we all kind of wondered, okay, who's the second best quarterback in the Canadian Football League? Well, based on two weeks of play, it's Trevor Harris. Like, that game was phenomenal. He laid a ball uh, right over top of Dietrich Nichols' shoulder. Nichols is in incredible coverage. And forgive me if it was Winnicky or whoever the receiver was. I went, it's the best pass I've seen thrown in the league this year. And I've seen all of Zach Kolaris's. And he's awesome. Like, wow, this is this is super impressive. And to do that, us without their top three receivers, it's it, it was it was a really impressive performance. I thought Sask's strength would be on its defense, and I still think that's the case. I don't think that's going to hold up. That offense will hold up every time. But uh, yeah, props to them for making that one much more interesting than it was. Until Dickinson kicked a field goal with eight minutes to go and ended the game. Cause... I loved, I loved you. <laughs> I saw you tweeting that. I mean, I knew that drove you nuts. It did not make a lot of sense. And I know people will say, oh, it's the Canadian Football League. Anything can can happen. But, man, with the way the Bomber offense was going yesterday or in that game, yeah. it, you're not beating Winnipeg with field goals, especially at that point in the game. 
Well, I, I made somebody giggle today because uh, we were talking about the BC Lions and they've been kicking a lot of field goals. I'm like, what, are they going to kick 15 field goals and beat the Bombers 45-44? Because it takes a lot of field goals to add up some points, right? And it, it, the interesting thing is there's a real take the points thing within football in the late stages of the game. Uh, because, like you said, anything can happen. But that totally, the thought that anything can happen, the Bombers fumbled the ball twice and essentially gave up three touchdowns last week. Sure, that's something that happens to a team once every seven years. Sure, that could happen. But what had happened in the first 52 minutes of that game that made you think you're going to hold Winnipeg off the scoreboard the rest of the way? Because it's not an 11-point game. Well, okay, it's, it's an 11-point game, but you need a touchdown and a two-point convert more than Winnipeg scores the rest of the way. And I think we lose in the conversation when we say it's a two-score game. No, no. It's two more scores than your opponent gets the rest of the way. That's, that's to me, the way you have to think about it. Because if you don't, oh, Winnipeg's going to walk down the field, jam in a touchdown, and you'll never score again, which is exactly what happened. Um, you, you mentioned BC. We'll get to that in a minute. Of course, they're the uh, visitors on Thursday night as the Bombers look to go 3-0. and um, But you know, coming out of the Ryder game, like I thought their defense – in game number one against Hamilton was, I mean, honestly, it looked like playoff level. I mean, they believe I Mitchell had absolutely nothing going on. And, you know, there was a number of bizarre plays that got them at least seemingly into the game, a game that they never really were in. Although it was a one score game late the fourth quarter after all that happened. Um, but what did you think of the defense this week? And I know you've been down at, you know, at practice. I know the guys spoke after a close practice today. Um, what's been the reaction inside the locker room and from the coaching staff to what Trevor Harris and the Ryder offense was able to do to the Bomber D last weekend? Yeah, to, to the players, to a man, it's, it's we have to get better, right? We we just have to get better. And and you see it, and you just think this is another step further away from what they were in 2021 when their defense just bludgeoned teams. I think they averaged fewer than 13 offensive points against uh, in 2021, an, an incredible number, which was – such an outlier, but like the same guy gets three touchdowns. Samuel Emelis hits him for three touchdowns, over 400 yards passing on every defensive back and linebacker imaginable. Like it's, I don't remember a ton of pressure on Trevor Harris as well. At least not the, the amount I would normally expect. There were some sacks. Celestin Haba had a second sack uh, and, and on and on, but not the same amount of quarterback pressure. And the reasons for that we can go into uh, why that might be the case, but yeah, no, this this is this is a defense I had concerns about in February and through two weeks. Uh, even with the BC, even pardon me, even with the the Hamilton game looking good, they still had receivers running open behind them. Only Boldy by Mitchell missed them by five yards. Right? It. I didn't leave game one too comfortable, and I definitely am not super comfortable after game number two. Um, special teams is a heck of a lot better. Uh, I, and listen, I didn't think they were problematic. Obviously, it, I mean, first and foremost, you get a punt block for a touchdown and then have a return that is fumbled that goes down to your two. That is an issue. But those, I mean, those are almost random plays. The one that I, I, I thought that their kick return uh, coverage could have improved, and I'm sure that was something that Mike O'Shea talked about. But, I mean, Sergio Castillo has come exactly as we remembered him. I mean, as advertised, uh, rock solid at the kicking position. But DT, I, 
that return from Janari and Grant. I mean, I don't even have words to describe it. And I didn't want to, you know, you watch something like that happen, and I'm sitting there with the guys going, that's the best kick return I've ever seen. And you don't really want to get out there. Obviously, there's recency bias. I've been thinking about this since last weekend, and I'm still waiting for somebody to show me a better return in the Canadian Football League. I mean, that was absolute magic, and it shows what a dangerous player he can be. And credit to Buck Pierce. I thought Buck Pierce called a hell of a game offensively. After that happened, you know, he's not going to get a ton of touches, but you get that ball into Janarian hands, uh, Grant's hands in open space, and you're probably moving the chains. I mean, just talk about the impact yeah. of 80 in that game against the Riders. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It, we asked Grant about it in the post game show, and we asked him, you know, yesterday, hey, you know, where does that rank? And he'll go back to there. There are bigger there are bigger moments for kick returns, like returning a kick for a touchdown, a, a punt for a touchdown in the Great Cup. Hard to dispute that that's a bigger moment than in week number two. The West Final, a bigger moment than in week number two. But if just on a neutral in a neutral game, if you took everything else out of it, the skill that's required to make that punt return might be as great as I've ever seen. Because he won. Deontay Williams is coming down him at 100 miles an hour. He's got to make a real quick decision to fake out Deontay Williams, or that play is over at the 15. And so he gets around him and then decides, okay, I'm going to have to cut back. And when you watch it back, right, you see – there are not a lot of great blocks because of the cutback. Guys can't make great blocks because they'll get called for holding. He's got to do this on his own. Okay, he stiff-armed, uh, he stiff-armed 38. Oh, he stiff-armed for the, the long snapper. Oh, he got the corner. He got inside Lacombo. Like, it, was, it was unbelievable the amount of effort that that took for him and just the, the confidence, the audacity to go, yeah, you know what, I'm going to try this. How many times have you seen a punt return where he went, Oh, God. don't start going backward. Oh, my God. But <laughs> this this one didn't feel like that, right? He just bubbled back a little bit to his left and just, just dropping 240-pound guys with stiff arms at 160 pounds. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, skill for skill. Again, taking, taking the context of the importance of the game out of it, uh, it's it's the best one that I, that I can think of. And, I mean, it was the backbreaker. Honestly, it was the backbreaker in that game. It was a three-point game. Bam, it's a 10-point game, and it looked like that. Oh, yeah, that, that was, one, that's a real momentum. I agree. That was absolutely the dagger for uh, for the Bombers. Hey, just before we get to BC and uh, what's coming out of uh, practice this week, had you ever – first of all, did you know that coaches could challenge an illegal block on a return, and had you ever seen it before? I had never seen it before, so it's one of those ones that you never kind of contemplate. But, yeah, uh, Coach O'Shea said you can't challenge holding on a return – but you can challenge a, a, a called illegal block. Uh, the, the interesting part of it is then, as you heard the official during the game say, we re- reviewed every block by Winnipeg and they were all deemed to be legal, right? Like you can't just say, okay, well, we think, well, one, we know Nick Dembski didn't do it because Nick Dembski's yeah, on the field. He wasn't on the field. It opened it up to a lot of possibilities. Yeah, so it's uh, the the official comes over and says, "Hey, I guess says, hey, it's we have an illegal block. It's on this player." Okay, well, I'm challenging that must challenge situation for one. Uh, but uh, they then the reason I suspect we don't see it a ton is because they now go back and I don't know how many blocks were thrown in that play, like 18, 20, because of how long it took and guys are throwing multiple blocks. If even one of those is illegal, well, there was no point in challenging anyway. So, yeah, you don't see it very often. And, I mean, 
every year we learn a little something new about the about the rules of, of this game, right? We had three or four of those last year. Uh, that's the one for this year. Of I don't know if I think that was an illegal block because nobody's laying on the ground. It might be time for coach to throw the flag. It was it was sharp. It was sharp by the Bombers uh, coaching staff to go. No. Okay, no, we we don't see it. So let's yeah. Well, no doubt about it. And to be honest, I mean, we know what a player's coach Mike O'Shea is. I mean, I might have done it anyways just to support Grant for what he had just done. But listen, yeah. if you get it right, it's six points. I mean, there's no better use of a challenge, I would say, than if you're correct, you get a touchdown. That's exactly what uh, what Coach O'Shea did. Derek Taylor's yeah, with us. I, Go ahead. I was gonna say, normally, I would I would not advocate for it at that point in the third quarter, just because so much can like so much more important things or so many more important things can happen in the fourth quarter of a game. But that was that was absolutely perfect. That was that I would have just I wouldn't even have bothered looking if I was a coach. I'd be like, no, we're challenging because if this goes our way, uh, we're gonna win the football game. And yes, there's there's this much time left, but huge play. And plus, I mean, the onus is on the CFL to tell the officials just let them get away with it. It's unbelievable. We need that as a top highlight <laughs> of the year. Just let it slide. Uh, you know, and I got thinking: was there not uh, a lady that got robbed? of the million bucks in the Safeway score and win a couple of years ago on a, on a flag yeah. on that. No, that, that's the coach almost owes it to that fan to challenge in that case. If it ever happens again, we got to pull that up because when was that, that might, we're all kind of wondering when did that rule become a thing? It better have been after the million dollar touchdown <laughs> the win that didn't come through. Because if that was challengeable and the coach didn't challenge that, Oh, somebody needs to be fired into the sun. Hey, uh, what um, uh, what's the word out of practice? I know today was closed. Uh, there's a lot of people in the chat wondering uh, how Brady's doing, Dalton Schoen. I guess we're not expecting Jackson Jeffcoat in the next little while, though he could come off the sixth game earlier. Uh, uh, what's the infirmary like right now in blue and gold? Yeah, so like you say, closed practice, so we didn't get to see it. We'll get the injury report a little later. But we can determine who practiced based on who uh, we can talk to. So I talked to Dalton Schoen today, which – means that Dalton Schoen practiced today, so I suspect he will be listed as full participant on the uh, on the uh, uh, injury report today. Brady Oliveira was not available to talk, so to me, I take away from that that Brady did not practice today. So I feel like he could go even with if, – if he's healthy enough, he doesn't necessarily need a week of practice, but I look closer and closer at Johnny Augustine uh, getting the carries just because – Brady's been down for two days with uh, on the injury list. I love seeing thorax on the injury list because that just sounds badass, right? But, uh, yeah, Brady, uh, I was cutting back that audio today. He took and laid a shot on Deontay Williams, a 225-pound defensive back, on his last carry. He went to the sidelines. I Like, that's being hit by a car. Like, And that's, that's a car hitting a car, so there's going to be damage in there. I certainly hope he's okay, but uh, – he was, uh, by my estimation, he was not practicing today. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for him on Thursday. Um, uh, what about the defensive side of the football? I mean, not as much uh, today, but um, there were a couple guys that missed practice yesterday and a couple other of the uh, backups getting more reps in, uh, in practice. Yeah, Alden Darby had the day off yesterday with an illness. I talked to him today. He said it was a little stomach thing, so he's back. Uh, well, I'm waiting to see about Demario Houston because his was non it was non-injury related why he missed practice yesterday. So uh, hoping that, that he'll be okay. If not, we'll get our first look in, re- in the regular season at Abu Dharami Soiree out of Colgate. So uh, that'll be that'll be the interesting one to see. And I mean, you can potentially, you know, we're, they're going to need more defensive backs along the way. So 
getting a, a rookie some reps in, in week number three would not be the worst thing at all. No doubt about it. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Bombers on 680 CGOB. He'll have the call come Thursday night, 7.30, and a big pregame show planned. Uh, give us a, a quick look ahead to this matchup. I mean, BC's look good so far. Certainly, I don't know whether it's an incredible defense or just a completely inept offense from Edmonton, but we don't see shutouts very often. Um, just give us your take on the challenge at hand for the Bombers as they try to go to 3-0. Yeah, I would think BC's probably the second-best team in the league, but to me, there are times where number two is so far away from number one that number two feels more like number three. And to me, that's kind of where I think BC is at right now. Like They shut out Edmonton, full props for that. But they scored 22 points, and they had five field goals in that game. And you are not coming anywhere near the Bombers with five field goals, the way the offense is going. The, offense, like, the team's put up more than 40 points a game. Like I joked earlier, that's 15 field goals you need to hit. You know, they're not getting 15 drives in a game, right? So, uh, BC, they're, this is the, one of those awkward stages of the, of the season for me where who have they played, right, becomes a big thing in, in, as I try to assess teams. Winnipeg's played Hamilton. Hamilton didn't look very good. They're 0-2. They played Saskatchewan. It looked a little better. So I, I think Winnipeg's had tougher opponents so far. Uh, BC's played Calgary, who looked awful in that game and is probably better than they played. And they played Edmonton, who might be the worst team in the league at this exact moment. So I don't feel like BC has done much so far. Uh, 22 points gets you halfway to what Winnipeg will put up, and the defense probably puts up more of a fight. Vernon Adams, I mean, he's he's getting yards and, and things are going his way. But, again, who's he, who have they played, right? Uh, they're dealing with some injuries as well. Uh, the defense looks solid. That front looks very impressive. And, man, they can cover. So uh, no qualms about their defense. But, yeah, I'll be very curious to see. It, it could turn into, you know, a battle of two unbeatens in the CFL that one, you know, walks away with a 20-point win just because – you know, two, all two and O's are not created equal. Let's say that. Yeah, I uh, very, very astute. And I think the uh, line on the game, which is Bombers by about a touchdown right now, says that uh, it does seem to be like there is the Bombers and then everywhere else. Although credit to BC for being where they are right now. Uh, DT, fill people in. Would you guys go live, what, two hours before game time? So 5.30 on, uh, on Thursday? That is correct. 7.30 kickoff, 5.30. We're live in the tailgate area of IG Field with myself and Doug Brown, and Ed Tate, and Ted Wyman. Uh, and I swear to God, if you come down and you say, Doug Brown, will you take a picture with me in the giant inflatable chair? Doug's going to do it. I'm going to make him do it. So you can come down and visit with us. Uh, yeah, we're, we're signing autographs. Uh, I've had uh, people who I think sarcastically want my autographs, so I give it to them. Oh, I'm, I'm very happy to. Oh, my God. Ah. But, yeah, no, we have a great time here at uh, the tailgate area of IG Field two hours before, so we'd love to have you come down. And, yeah. And dial us up. If you're watching on TV, you can uh, dial in the radio feed as well. And we'll, you can hear me actually freak out if Janarian Grant even touches the ball this week. Not, no doubt about it. Another great reason to get down to the Princess Auto tailgate party early because uh, the OB boys will be firing up for two hours before kickoff between the Bombers and Lions. DT, stay cool, man. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate you jumping on today. Thanks for having me, Huss. Good stuff. At DT on OB. Give Derek Taylor a follow. And uh, make sure to be listening for all his bomber coverage over on 680 CJOB. Speaking of that bomber game, good news for those of you like myself and Remus that love Little Brown Jug, our favorite local beer. Little Brown Jug is now an official partner of the Blue Bombers. 
and you can get the great taste of their flagship 1919 when you get to the stadium on the weekend. Now, it is at the Poutinery locations and the hometown concessions. So there's a number of options, a couple of options of each on both sides of the 100 level as well as the 200 level. So if you're looking for the best beer in the building, make it 1919 at the Poutinery or the hometown locations for Little Brown Jug availability along with their other local craft beers. And, of course, don't forget uh, you can get generic lager and all the other great taste of uh, Little uh, little Brown Jug down at the uh, brewery and tap room. And if you're going to the Gold Eyes game, 1919 and generic available, as well as tap options of different Little Brown Jug beers over at Craft Beer Corner. Um, speaking of beer, that goes very well with fishing and uh I cannot wait to get out to Aikens Lake coming up in August. Uh, if you've uh, been planning or, or wanting to do a world-class fishing trip where you can be uh, on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot. And as world-class as the fishing, the hospitality is even better. There's really nothing like the Aikens experience. Find out more online at AikensLake.com or give our pal Pitt Turen a uh, buzz on Twitter at Aikens Lake or by email on the website and uh, they'll fill you in on availability for this year, already booking into next year and what you can expect from uh, a once-of-a-lifetime trip out to Aikens Lake. Um, all right, Remote, we have to get to um, our Cool Bet lines. I'll give a quick shout-out to our friends over at Breezy Bend, though. Uh, man, the course is in amazing shape and we will have more Breezy Bend golf reports coming up beginning on Thursday as the Travelers is back. Check tomorrow's lock shop for our picks for the weekend on the golf course. In the meantime, if you're thinking about making a long-term home for you and your family at one of Manitoba's top private courses, Breezy is the spot. Give them a call and talk to Corey Johnson about getting on the waiting list for the 2024 season. You can also find out more. At Little Brown Jug or at uh, Breezy Bend, excuse me. Ca. All right, let's get to the Cool Bet lines before we head out to the track for another night of live racing over at Assiniboia Downs. Not a lot going on today, but we got baseball. And today on the lock shop, Dusty and I both cranked out three gamers, which are available in the Cool Bet exclusive section. They give us a couple really nice numbers. I had put together a parlay. That came up to plus 468. They boosted it to plus 550. I've got the Tigers over the Royals, the Marlins over the Blue Jays, and the Cubs over the Pittsburgh Pirates. That one is up to plus 550. I think if you want to just ride with one game, I'm liking the Cubs and the Stro Show. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10. Pirates 2-8. and eight. Cubs smoked them last night, 8 nothing, And a real pissing, pitching, mismatch, pissing, pitching, Mismatch. Nice. Pitching mismatch on the mound tonight with Marcus Stroman getting the, uh, match. getting the call. Um, Dusty's on the Rays, Yankees, and Twins. That one is at plus 485. And as far as those individual games go, Jays are basically an even money underdog, plus 101 going against the Marlins. My guy Kikuchi is on the mound. I don't like to go against him, but... Uh, it just seems like the Jays are struggling a little bit, and the Marlins have a heck of a starter on for them. Royals stink. They won one of their last nine. Tigers will probably get this one done. That one's at minus one, uh, 143 right now. And then that Cubs game that I mentioned, 
the Cubs. Where are we here? Uh, Marcus Stroman, the Stro Show, minus 128. So it's all there at Cool Bet. One other thing I'll point you to is the NHL draft odds. And we'll certainly be talking about this more next week as we get closer to the first pick when we're in, um, in Nashville. But you can bet on who will be the second, third, fourth, or fifth overall picks. We've also now got over-under numbers on a number of the players that are scheduled to be picked in the first round. I love this value on Zach Benson. I'm not saying he's going to go in the top eight, but I think there's a very good chance that he does. And the fact that that number to go between one and eight is plus 200, I cannot avoid jumping on that one. It was plus 210 when it came out. There's been a little bit of movement, but it's pretty steady right now. Um, and I, you know, I've been hearing some scuttlebutt on Benson, including the San Jose Sharks, as high as number four. So I have a feeling he's going to hear his name called early. Love the value on that. Anyways, you can check it all out right now, and they'll continue to add more as we get closer to the week in Nashville. Of course, Cool Bet is presenting Winnipeg Sports Talk at the NHL Draft in Nashville. Love more on your draft odds and props and whatnot. And, of course, join us on Monday for shows following the Winnipeg Jets in the National Hockey League all through the week. Travelers Championship odds are up as well. We'll hit that on tomorrow's lock shop. Scotty Scheffler, the favorite at plus 650, and Pat Cantley at 11-1. to 1. Um, By the way, if you haven't used the uh, cool bet before, you can always use the promo code WST when you're making your first deposit for a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks over at cool bet all right reem let's uh, get to the track i i'm I, and i saw mary jane thanking us for the horse picks yesterday mary jane i hope you faded me because i uh i'm ice cold right now but it's hotter than hell outside right now so why not heat up tonight remus and that is my plan with the picks for tonight's live racing card which gets going at assiniboia downs at 7 30 yeah i didn't have a great day at the track either I had one. I picked an exacto where I bet four dollars and won five fifty. So like, <laughs> I got to stop betting on favorites. I I there was one what I bet like ten dollars and won like fifty like twelve or something the other day. So that those are dumb. Don't do that. Don't go on these uh, so hard on these favorites. Um, you want me to start going? I'm yeah, starting I, a I race don't have three. Anything, I don't have anything on race one. Okay, I got nothing. Race one. Okay, race two, I am going on uh, number four to win, Canadian Authority with Antonio Whitehall. Uh, so uh, sprinkle on Canadian Authority on number four in race number two. Okay. Uh, and then we go to race number three. Who you got here? I have a Triactor Box, Kim's Texas Bling, Gold Digging Darlin', and Buy All. That's a bit of a chalk box, but... I don't. I don't care. Uh, I think. Yeah, that's going to be the six dollar bet that pays six seventy to win. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. Let's see. I'm on. I'm on Kim's Texas Bling to win. Okay. That is my. And I love Kim's Texas Bling. Although we love Buy Y'all too. Buy Y'all four to five. So a clear favorite. Figured I'd go with the next horse up, and that is Kim's Texas Bling. Uh, race number four. You got one in that in that race? Uh no, I don't. Okay, I do. Shinboro race horse number seven opened at six to one. I'm taking Shinboro with Neville Stevenson race seven or sorry, horse seven in race number four on to race number five. Um, yes, I'm on race five. 
I'm picking. Oh. I think we're both on this one. <laughs> very high. <laughs> yeah, we're both on very high. <laughs> I bet on very high too. How can I not? I saw that. I was like, "Ha, there's a horse here." Called very, very high. So I bet. Uh, I only bet like three bucks on it, but yeah, me as well. So well, I guess I won't be able to make up any ground on you. However, if we both win, um, that'll be fun to talk about tomorrow. Looking for kicks, looking good. Love ours is the favorite in that one. All right, race six and seven. This is where I've actually really put my uh, my money towards. I've got a one, four, five triactor parlay in race six with Lady Cop, Big Hug, and Spittin' Kitten. Um, six dollar wager. What do you got for uh, for yeah, race? Yeah, I have six? one four seven. I got Super Caro. I got another chalk triactor. <laughs> yeah, you just see. I, I I I try to at least grab one out of the top three just to. I'm going with the program selections here. We'll we'll see what happens. And then for race seven, eight horses in this race. What do I got here? I think this is a bit of a longer shot for me. One, okay, Savage Love is pretty short. But Lady Nyla is the longest shot on the board. And I'm including Lady Nyla in it. As well as Cordillera. So a one, five, eight. Savage Love, Lady Nyla, Cordillera. If that one comes in, that'll be... Uh, That'll be a nice win. Again, I need the longest shot on the board to finish in the top three along with my other two horses. What okay, I'm on seven? race seven. I did an exacto one three Savage Love, which I um which I've won on with before. Shout out to Adam Big Hill, hashtag Savage. And uh <laughs> I have that to win. That's the chalk pick with three in seconds. Someone someone else, someone else going in. Uh yeah. That's Someone the one I'm else. picking for a second. There you go. Um, as I said, post time tonight, 7.30 p.m. And uh, we'll get back at it tomorrow. It's now we're Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, live racing at Assiniboia Downs. If you want to make a reservation in the uh, dining room, give them a call. I believe it's 885-3300 or 3330 uh, or asdowns.com for more information on that. Of course, free parking, free to get in. Great time out at the track. And... Uh, I can't be at the track tonight, Remo, because I said yes to one of my buddies to fill in with him in his golf league. I cannot believe that I said, yeah, I'm in for sure. I wonder what the day is going to be like. Well, it's going to be 34 degrees Celsius, and it's down in uh, St. Malo, St. Pierre, and that always seems to be the area that gets much bigger, severe thunderstorms. So I don't even know whether we're going to be able to make it through this round today. But uh, it could be an adventure because the weather forecast looks pretty gnarly considering how hot and humid it is right now. And the wind is Yeah, too. I was supposed to have my son's soccer, and uh, that got canceled, thankfully. So I'm not having that, and I'll have to figure out some alternate alternate Why plan. Why did it get canceled I mean, just because it's too hot? Yeah, like you can't have these kids running around. Like, let's see, what's the temperature on my phone? It's like 34, isn't it? Like, I Winnipeg has. This is my slogan, Winnipeg. Can't go outside in the winter. Can't go outside in the summer. Soft. Burn. S A W F T. Soft. 34 degrees. Turning no these thanks. kids into a bunch of cream puffs. It gets 30 degrees and you have to stay home. You're yeah. Staying home too much as it is. That's the problem with kids. We need to get them outside. Toughen them up a bit. No, They're it's four. not. It's, it's not safe. Go, get out there, kids. Don't complain. 
Water only at halftime. Follow the ball. It's not. Look, there's so little soccer being played as it is in this, you know, three, four-year-old soccer. So don't force him outside. Um, here, we're no rap. People are asking me. People seem to think I have a, a scheduled rant at the end of every show. It just organically comes, people. Yeah, like I don't like think, okay, what am I going to... But the good thing is he's usually not in that good of a mood, and usually there is something bothering him most days of the week. So uh, yeah. are, do you have anything today? Yeah, I actually uh... do. I was really oh, triggered. Go this... figure. <laughs> I was really triggered uh, this morning. So the Philadelphia, this is what, this is here. Philadelphia Flyers announced their new uniforms today. So whenever a team announces a new uniform in 2023, you have to have a video on social media. So here's the video they put out. And I don't know about you, but if you're announcing a jersey, show the damn jersey. I don't want to see a video of like a <laughs> locker room, of ice, of like whatever, skates. I don't care what's it. I don't want to see any of this. Show me the jersey Right away, I'm not sitting through this. How long? This is a two-minute video. This is typical uh, millennial impatience. This from is Michael a, Remus here. It's called a tease. Okay, this, this is, is a, like a two-minute video of jersey unveiling. They don't even show the jersey. Show me a picture. I don't want to see this. This is horrible. <laughs> this video. Like, I'm sure it took a lot of work to put in and two like minutes a lot of, of your life you'll never get back and a lot of hours of editing, but like. If you're going to reveal, like, reveal the jersey, what is this? <laughs> I don't know. Well, so, I mean, I guess they're I, showing a bit of the jersey. I feel bad. Like, and it looks just like the old Flyers jersey, to be well, honest. I'm not really seeing anything that jumps that, out to me. That's the thing, too. Like, and I don't want to dump, like, people work really hard on these videos. They're hard to make and take a long time to edit. But me, as a consumer and a jersey connoisseur, I want to see, just show me the picture. I don't need a video. Um, and it, uh, so I went to go see it, and it was... I just sit through all this, and I scroll to the end. I couldn't even see the jersey. And a really cool close-up of that stitching, bringing the white and the orange together. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is so. If, you know, speaking of this, overkill. I wonder if we're going to get any news on our jerseys. That was. I yeah. Okay, go I, ahead. I, I mean, I, I've I've long thought that there was the potential to tweak things up, and you know, potentially maybe move to the heritage on a more consistent basis, or at least include them a lot more. Um, and then, you know, of course, the, uh, the the reverse retros from last year that I think were so popular, the 90s version, love to see those get in there a little bit more. So um, I heard some rumblings that maybe that was going to change this mm. year, although uh, certainly nothing from the club right now. So here we'll stay. That'll be our aesthetics, uh, our aesthetics segment um, yeah. for uh, jerseys and. I'll, I'll give you my jersey review on the Flyers jerseys. Except you click on the link on their website and you get a four hundred four error. So well done. I guess too much time spent on the video to make a working <laughs> link. But here's the video. Link. I guess they changed the orange a little, and they don't have the black between the white and the orange here. I mean, these, here's as the, you said, these look like important. a. They Who look like the a Flyers in jersey. The jerseys? Yeah, they. they like, who yeah. are they promoting as their guys? Um, We've talked I don't know a lot, who, just to bring it here into Winnipeg. I don't know who these guys are. You it's know, the I mean, like, 
apparently, and I was at the Sea Bears game going up a Hargrave and turning, and I couldn't help but notice on the side of Jets gear, it was Pierre Luc Dubois. It was Connor Hellebach, and it was Mark Scheidel. No, oh, those are gonna have to get changed. Uh, I think yeah. they might have done that, or they're already working on changing and, the branding. And as far as the uh, Jets jerseys, someone like threw out there on Twitter who's like a jersey guy that he thought the Jets were changing. I heard that that wasn't the case. However, they did wear the heritage quite a bit last year. I thought maybe they would wear them in the playoffs. But I think in the playoffs, you can only wear one jersey. That's some silly NHL rule. Like NBA, Denver's wearing like three jerseys in the finals. A series. Yeah, in a series. So NHL needs to get with it. Like people should have been wearing reverse retros in the playoffs. Like they were so popular. I don't know how you how you go away, go away from them. But I thought the Heritage should have been worn in the playoffs for the Jets. I think they do need to go to Heritage you know more white heritage white they need yes her, i uh the or or the or the reverse retros i would yeah, be fine with for the actually, for the white jersey white yeah the white i haven't been like i like the jets blue of the 2.0 but the white it's got that stuff on the shoulders like the blue one i'm not crazy about that so that's why i say Listen, go to that i like i like the the original 2.0 jersey fine i think it's great i think the logo's nice looks great on hats and all that stuff the the heritage jersey is one of I, I put that up against any jersey yes. in the National Hockey League. It's too good I, when it comes down to it. It's just too damn good. Exactly. It's too good. Shouldn't be in the closet. It should be so, on the ice worn, especially uh, in the playoffs. More uh, more uh, <laughs> more info on that. All right. Well, listen. Uh, yeah. Fun show today. Oh, one more. We got the Hockey Hall of Fame announcement tomorrow during the show at two. Exactly. I was. That's going to be. Uh, who do you think? Do you have any predictions? Uh, McGillney should be Kachuk? in. McGillney's got to get in Old at this Keith. point. What about what about Brindamore? I don't. Is Brindamore Hall? I don't like. Is he Hall? I guess if like Guy Carboneau's in, Brindamore should be in. But was Brindamore like he was really good? But was he like a top guy in the league? I guess he played like a different role, and he was he was on Team Canada '98, so obviously he was seen that way. Yeah. But I have. Yeah, Lundqvist sounds like he's getting in. McGillney should be in. Curtis Joseph. I want to see in. Uh, I don't think goalies are getting what about respect. Theo Fleury? Are you uh, you on the uh... for his on ice stats? He should be in, but I don't think that he's getting in. So he's been basically canceled for being pretty out there on a lot of things. His I, his I... stats show that he's he was on Team Canada ninety eight oh two. He's got the points, Stanley Cup. He's I stats... think there's there's a certain level of you know a bunch of things that Fleury has. There's 15 people all time that have done it. 14 of them are in. <laughs> is he triple? Um, is he triple gold? I'm trying to remember. What, uh, I don't know if he has worlds. Well, the world junior, he was in the punch up. And yeah, he was in that, wasn't it? Yeah, he was in that. They got tossed out of that tournament. So, uh, anyways, we'll see tomorrow. We'll discuss it. Um, who's on tomorrow? Is uh, Murad in tomorrow? Or are we uh, going? He's with, on, uh, and he's got the um, he's got the I guess response to Arpin. So I know. Everyone here so loves. Uh, that's why we got over 500 people here to hear about the latest on Pierre Luc Dubois and Dubois drama. We didn't even play the theme song uh, today. We'll play the theme song for sure tomorrow. We'll play it tomorrow. People are getting mad that we're not playing it. Uh, I mean, gotta say, I don't know. Yesterday, I didn't think there was news. Today, we could have played it. But Marat's got the response to Arpin about just 
I don't know if they're going to be able to work out a deal with Montreal. I don't think there's the puzzle pieces fit together. Well, the puzzle pieces the puzzle pieces fit together if the Habs are willing to, you know, move off a couple of assets that the Winnipeg that's Jets true. want. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> that's true. I mean, you can do it, but if you're not willing to trade Kirby Doc or the fifth pick overall, then, yeah, it's probably going to be tough to pull off. Um, anyways, we'll be all over it with you tomorrow. We will have Marat, which should be good, and we promise you we'll play the Dubois drama theme song before we get into that today. Uh, thanks to Rewiki. Thanks to Jeff Hamilton. Great stuff with Hammer. And, of course, Derek Taylor, voice of the Blue Bombers. Uh, and a huge thanks to all the sponsors that make this show happen every day. And all of you for being with us. Hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. And on your way out, if you hadn't, please hit that thumbs up. And whatever you do, stay cool. And join us tomorrow, 1 p.m. live. The latest on Dubois drama. Bombers getting ready for the Lions on Thursday night. And much more right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great night. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.